The following podcast is brought to you by long-term sponsor Atlas VPN. Support Moore's Law is dead by supporting this sponsor at the link in the description and make sure you use offer code Moore's Law to get 83% off a three-year membership with three months free. You'll only be paying $1.83 a month. And this episode is also brought to you by CDKeyOffer.com. Use offer code BrokenSilicon for 25% off Windows codes and DieShrink for 3% off everything on the website. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I am joined today, I have no witty intros, by my co-host, uh, Dan. How you doing, Dan? What have you? What are you up to this fine, well, actually, it's pretty cloudy and crappy outside, fine, uh, but maybe where you are fine Sunday evening. Eh, not, not too much. Took uh took my dog for a walk before recording this and while reading up on notes, so that was a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just um I'm in an odd mood today. Uh, we'll get into half of the reason why that is, but the other half being um our parents visited me, not you, because you're in a different state, but me in Nashville. Kind of, you know, it's one of those things where a lot of friends and family are visiting right now to see Reese since she's sick. They want to make sure they see her, you know, before you know she's not with us and stuff like that and. So I had to get up early to drive my parents to the airport. The idea was we were going to go to breakfast first. And then I got up and they said, well, it's too late. We don't want to go to breakfast anymore. But if you want to, we could eat some like something in the fridge. And I'm like, I'm going to just drive you to the airport now. So it was a weird (laughs) morning of apparently I got up a little early. So I'm tired, but apparently not early enough for them. And um Yeah, so it's been an odd weekend, but it was good to see family, I suppose. But anyways, let us get into the opening reader mails. Big Jeff B writes in and he says, Hey, Tom, I'm sorry to hear about your dog. When I had to go through that, our vet had us feed our dog the nutrient-dense meats ground up like hamburger that we had to cook for her. Maybe if you have a butcher, you can do that. Things like tongue and organ meat. You just use some of those kids I keep in my closet. Um, He said, it did take, it did seem to make her feel better. And she was older than I believe your dog is. I'm sorry. I don't know how to spell her name right now. So I'm just not even going to try to and avoid putting her name here. Anyways, hope you don't mind. And I hope this message helps. Um, Yeah, I mean, so for those listening, the dog, the, some would say main star of uh, Broken Silicon and Moore's Law's Dead Reese. She has like a tongue cancer. And so she's, it is funny though. It's been a gradient. She's been picky about food and eating less but it's not because she doesn't have a little bit of an appetite and if you give her tastier food she just wolfs it down anyways she's just (laughs) like it's kind of a balancing act with her where she's like well it's a little extra hard to eat do i do i really want to eat that (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah i'll I'll, I'll eat the chicken probably (laughs) yeah or or salmon like i gave her part of the salmon on bagel she just loves salmon apparently dan uh but i guess that makes sense like i guess the analogy would be like if you made me wear a football helmet all day and i had to eat through a football helmet i mean i would still definitely eat but like i'm not gonna bother to eat something that doesn't taste really good probably maybe that should be a new diet putting football helmets on people and not letting them take them off 
Uh, I think people would definitely stick to that. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. Um, thanks for the suggestions, though, Big Hefe, um, or <laughs> Big Hefe, Big Jeff B. But the way you <laughs> write it, I feel like you're. In, I should just be calling you Big Hefe. Um, it's been a bit of a stressful month here with Reese, but um, she's still she still has plenty of energy, and we take her on a walk. All right, now here's a I think a very good question. Dead of Night writes in, just like you guys can if you support us on Patreon. He says, hi, Tom and Dan. It's the 21st century, and pretty much all good roller coasters still have a height requirement. Don't you think that by now they should have designed ones that can severely fit little people and youngsters? I have two toddlers, and I feel ripped off going to an amusement park, but I can't bring my whole family on the rides. Well, first of all, I think that there still needs to be some requirements restrictions because i'm guessing just because of g-forces and the shaking you don't want babies or toddlers on a roller coaster but i half agree with some of the height stuff i where, what do you think dan I, I i think i stand on height requirements probably being a good thing for for most roller coasters like uh i don't know there there's there's a limit to how much a like hard arm bar thing can really fit like i you can make it go from fit someone that's like four feet tall to six foot to like seven feet tall. But at a certain point, I think you just can't make it fit every person. So I'm looking it up here and it seems like most roller coasters, the requirement is about 36 or 48 inches. The 12, you know, three or four 30. feet. So I think what they're thinking is like, we've kind of adjusted it for like 99.9% of adults. It's not like the requirements two feet. And I don't think anyone shorter than two feet is probably safe or the overwhelming majority aren't safe on a roller coaster. Right? Uh, the, the two year, a, a two foot tall person, that, that would be less than two years old, I think. So yeah. So Although says, don't even check like me on my people, topic. right? You know, yeah. I, I feel like most of them are at least that tall. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, most I think are in the four foot range. But so I don't know, Dead of Night. If your question is why do some maybe still have a five foot tall thing, I would agree. But from what I'm looking up online, it seems like they just don't want you to bring your baby on a roller coaster. <laughs> I don't think the issue is if they can design something to fit it. I think they're going like, yeah, this is like, we don't design a car seats in the front for two foot tall people either because i it's not a lot of toddlers that should be allowed to drive cars but yeah. i don't know we'll see we'll see if um what this discussion just uh, just makes a million people mad um all right let us move on we do have a corrections and omissions here from carbon cry he says in broken silicon 161 your guest meyer has gravely mischaracterized the positioning of arm and x86 in terms of backwards compatibility his conclusions were correct to be fair but his reasoning is faulty x86 needed to keep a longer backwards compatibility than arm it's not a demerit on x86 however x86 includes a lot longer backwards compatibility than arm trips contrary to what meyer ledge arm can much more easily jettison older instructions in fact the most recent cores completely throw out 32-bit compatibility which is especially meaningful as 64-bit arm is almost a reboot of the isa arm can do this because of their software base is much smaller more modern and more flexible almost all of it is built on 64 but anyways talking about server space here the area where arm products actually get to compete with x86 x86 meanwhile has to keep much more of its old instructions alive however this actually isn't as big of an issue as most people seem to think it does not make x86 inherently worse see 
Yes, a modern x86 CPU does have x87 instructions, but no one really focuses on how fast those run. No modern program really uses them, and even with tens of cycles of execution latency, a modern CPU will end up executing them faster than the CPU those programs were designed for by now anyways. Effectively, this is not a difference maker at all. And in exchange for this tentative negative, x86 gains the benefits of a massive software infrastructure and legacy. System Z is even more archaic, ancient ISA, but CPUs for it are still being made, in part because the Z ISA is compatible with System 360 ISA from the 60s. Backwards compatibility does not limit opportunities for x86 tips. It just expands their software library and their toolkits. Now, I don't know that you have much to add to this, Dan, do you? No, I don't. I I am not educated enough on the nitty-gritty of this, honestly. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what I will say to this is this is something i've i specifically have had an an intel source say to me before which is that just pointing out that the main reason arm seems so amazing compared to x86 is that intel fell behind and amd fell apart for a few years you know like Mm -hmm. it, it isn't the fact that x86 can't perform efficiently and i think what we're seeing right now is that it certainly can and it is now so i think this was just more like in depth, like adding on to similar things I've heard him say, you know, that we never went into detail before. But um, yeah, I don't know. I appreciate it, Carbon Cry. Um, and with that correction and omission, I think we should now move on to the first story. NVIDIA capitulates on high-end Ampere pricing amidst a used card flood and an AIB revolt. In the last news episode, and indeed throughout the last couple of months, there have been much discussion about dropping GPU prices, ampere oversupply, and the dropping of PC component prices just in general. And this week, well, it's no different being our first story. Prices continue to collapse, and it seems NVIDIA this time, though, is finally accepting reality. In summary, NVIDIA announced price cuts recently on SKUs above the RTX 3080. That is, the RTX 3090 Ti now has an MSRP in quotes of $1,500, with the founders being $1,600 at Best Buy, and often 3090 Ti AIB models being found cheaper than that. The 3090 having a $1,300 MSRP for now. Again, they say it's temporary, kind of. I I don't know how temporary it's really going to end up being. The 3080 Ti having an MSRP of $1,100, and the 3080 12 gigabyte having $800. The 3080 and below keep their original MSRPs. Additionally, NVIDIA has announced a game bundle that includes Ghostwire Tokyo, Doom Eternal, and two DLCs for Doom Eternal, and the reason they're doing this must all be viewed through a lens that has the following context. Right now, ARC 6900 XTs are going for less than $900 new with three free AAA games. Not just a couple games, one old one with a couple DLCs. And the RX 6800 XT can often be found for less than $600 on eBay. And there's tons of bargain RTX 3080s and 3090s hitting the used market. Last week, Tom got an RTX 3090 for $800. And most importantly, Moore's Law's at Context are insisting that the overwhelming majority of mining cards haven't hit Western markets yet. And so what you're seeing now on eBay are cards for the most part from scared hobbyist miners and gamers trying to drop a card they can't afford long term. These are not the big mining firms. A flood is coming with these used mining cards, and thus NVIDIA and its AIBs know that it is in their best interest to get rid of as much stock as they can right now. So what's our advice? Well, we expect used pricing to go up a bit now while new pricing continues to collapse. 
um, which I think you're seeing there's an ebb and flow between the used and new market with some of the most desperate used cards have already sold out by now, but again, more are coming. And if we were to give advice though, for new cards to buy or, or new or used, what I would say is if you need a placeholder card, you can find ARC 6600s for under 300, often under $270 right now. And the RX 6700 non-XT 10 gigabyte just kind of launched for $370 on Newegg, although it sold out instantly. And if you need an Ampere card for work, I just think that used RTX 3080s and 3090s that are half off their MSRP sometimes with regards to the 3090 um are really what you should be going for just doing a little bit of due diligence to make sure it's a repeatable a reputable seller on ebay and that they have some pictures that don't have the card just covered in dust uh <laughs> but anyways note that lower price cards are coming but it's going to take a few more weeks to erode mid-range pricing and don't forget that lovelace and rdna3 are unlikely to have sub 400 next-gen cards for a very long time when i check evga's website What's interesting is, and I usually check the 3090 first because that's the one that I usually find the most below MSRP in percentage deals I, for obvious reasons. I mean, if you think about it, the 3090 was a card that people honestly, I don't even know how much mining firms really wanted it. It was a card people bought because they couldn't get a 3080 for a reasonable price. And so either it was the only thing in stock, or if you're going to tell people a 10 gigabyte 3080 is 1300, they go, well, then I'll pay, you know, 1700 for a 3090. Or oftentimes, yeah. honestly, I think it was like two grand for like new 3080s and 220. At that <laughs> point, you might as well just get triple, like over double the RAM, right? I mean, <laughs> if we're talking way back in time where pricing was just completely out of whack yeah if you're if money isn't an object i guess the 3090 is your option yeah so i mean what well, right now it seems to be holding it's you know new like 1300 dollar msrp just fine and if it's holding that msrp and then i look around and i see let me go to the 3090 ti too which i'm hearing is just a disaster to try to sell they're all exactly 1500 yeah even which, by the way, this is how you know this is weird. Everybody listening, it's fifteen hundred dollars on EVGA's website, and that goes for the triple fan thirty ninety Ti's and the liquid cooled ones. They're the same <laughs> price on EVGA's website. Oh wow! So, so what means, this that means they're they just, just want them dumping stock. Yeah. <laughs> what this tells you is that AIB said, "Hey, hey, hey Nvidia." A bunch of used mining cards are going to hit the market for half MSRP soon. We have to liquidate our stock now if we take a 10% loss even. And it even these cards are probably being sold at a profit. They're like, any profit, anything close to break even is better than having to drop prices below a grand for a card that costs us more than that to make or something. And or or for a card that they very least they paid to NVIDIA and the suppliers to make for that much. And so... And from what I've been hearing, NVIDIA just stonewalled them and said, maintain MSRP. You know, if you keep doing this, we're going to pull Lovelace stock. And eventually they said, we're not, we're, it's going to be a year before we sell through our stock anyway, so we don't care. Pull Lovelace stock. And I think what you're seeing is NVIDIA said, oh, oh, this is a problem. Our AIBs, all of them at once aren't listening to us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to officially drop the MSRP, everybody, for only the top models. If you play ball will let you do this. And again, this is how you know they're still desperate though. The liquid cooled 3090 Ti is the same price. I think 
one of them oh that one sold out though there was one that came with a power supply too the same price as the triple fan models and that tells you they're just following nvidia's guidelines to the t but they really they really still just want to sell things they want their whole stock gone or as much of it as they can get gone within a week because they know this is a ticking time bomb in the used market yeah i mean if if the market truly does is about to flood with uh crypto cards i think they're <laughs> i think you are uh, just got in on the party a little bit early i think you'll see a lot of 3090s for 800 dollars on ebay soon um yeah. and i'm sorry I, I i get that buying new is generally a bit better than buying used uh i don't know if it's 700 dollars better <laughs> I would agree. I and and I think, you know, as I said in the write up, it hasn't hit the mid-range yet. And that's for obvious reasons. People, if we're being honest, just want 3070s. They and, and as someone who's playing with a 3090 right now, and it works, it works fine. It actually came in kind of like like new condition. Um I, I think it's better than a 3070. Like that's for sure. But I've got to say, I wouldn't pay triple the price. I wouldn't pay double the price. I paid about where I'm the most I would pay for a 3090 relative to a 3070 because there is truly something going on. And I'll probably say this in the upcoming like review and like overall advice for buying cards. You know, maybe I'll save that review for when the used mining cards hit the market so I can be more informed on that, you know, the new lay of the land. But there is a diminishing return thing going on that I've talked about before that really is there. It really, really is there above 3070 slash, you know, 6750 XT slash 2080 Ti performance, where mm-hmm. I know you can find settings somewhat easily that are like ultra level that make the 3090 like 40% to 50% better than a 3070. But it doesn't feel like it's, I mean, if we're being honest, and that's two tiers above the 3070, I would say. Yeah. It doesn't feel two tiers better. It feels a little more than a tier, maybe. Uh, except I use it for work, so the 24 gigabytes is nice to not have to worry about RAM amounts anymore. But I, I, I don't know. Is that something? You know what I mean, though. Like that, I'm just like when I tell people to look for the best deals, I would just remind them. Like I think there's a reason these used 3090s are falling so much. It's not just because they were the dumb cards before. It's also because I don't think most people care for more performance than a 3070. I mean, I've been saying that for a while. I just I, I don't think 30. You're getting. I don't think most people are getting much out of that extra money you're spending and you know you're spending what twice as much even now if you manage to get a new Mm -hmm. 3070 which 3070 still aren't really available i guess but if you can manage to get one you're still probably paying about what half as much as it used uh i mean as a new uh 3090 at the new 1500 msrp or 3092 ti at the new 1500 msrp and you know I don't think most people care enough to spend that much more money. Uh, And once again, if you start seeing 3090s, maybe even 3090 TIs go below $1,000 on the used market, I don't think anyone's going to buy the new cards. And they have to respond to that. Yeah, and they have to respond to it. It's better for them to respond to it now rather than later, which 
Cacatheries writes in and he says, are you still hearing about AMD and NVIDIA wanting to abandon the lowest end? Seeing how people are often forced to buy new hardware for one reason or another, I think the sub $100 GPU market should be worth making a product for. Maybe when shipping costs get to pre-COVID le- numbers. Oh, it's funny. When I started reading this, I was going to say yes, but then you say uh, the low end is sub 100. I mean, yeah, I think that's gone. Like the sub 100. Gone, so. What would the the sub 100 market would be like weaker than integrated at this point? I feel like, right? Like what yeah. Would a, what would a sub 100 dollar? What would a sub 100 dollar uh, RDNA two graphics card look like? Eight compute units. I mean, I don't know. It's integrated. Be, be, because it, it would because if you think about like the ARC 6400, I think as things progress, that will continue to go to, down in price a little bit. But at about 120, 140. I mean, inflation, guys, I'm sorry, it is a thing that definitely affects these people who make silicon goods just as much as food. And and really, anytime gas prices go up, shipping prices go up, that just raises the price of everything. So if we adjust for inflation an ARC 6400, I think is pretty comparable to like an RX 550, maybe, maybe from like six years ago or whatever it was from Polaris. And that was a card that was like 80 bucks usually. Well, you adjust it for inflation since then. Uh, it's definitely been at least 30% by now. So I, I think about 120 is going to be this flash in the pan we see every now and then. Like, I think the new floor is 120 to one to 200, frankly. And I don't yeah. think they're often going to be impressive. Like, I don't think they're going to be good cards when well, they I, are that price. I mean, if we're talking about a 16, uh, something below a 6,400, we're talking about something like, relative performance we're talking something that was low end even a couple generations ago i think so i i just don't think there's really any room in the market for that because at a certain point what are you even running on something like that you know and ram really does become an issue we were kind of in this era where if you had two gigabytes you could get by for the longest time but now you really can't i mean it's really not enough four gigabytes is enough four gigabytes i would say is the new two gigabytes but that's still just in RAM cost alone right now, probably around like 30 bucks right there. Then you have to pay for shipping, which is still probably 50% more than where it was pre-pandemic. You know, what, what, what card are they going to make for under 100? The only cards you're going to see for under 100 anytime soon, I think is going to be, and we'll get to it, the Intel A310. I don't think it's going to be good, guys. So <laughs> I don't think you're going to want to buy it anyways. Yeah, and I think in... I think like an A6, I mean, not an A, I think like a 6300 or I don't know. That would be like, they would have to have like two gigs of RAM for that. And I don't even know. I don't know if you can really do anything with two gigs of RAM at this point. You can't do much with two gigs of RAM. Yeah. And, you know, let me, let me also say this too. I'm like on eBay right now. I'm looking at a seller here with above 99% seller rating. He has a bunch of XFX 564 gigabyte uh models for sale i included that in my 1650 um 6500 xt 3050 video where i kind of looked at like what's worth buying and i like came to the conclusion if a 6500 xt was two like 200 a 3050 is honestly worth probably near 300 and a 1650 though is like so much weaker even the crazy overclocked model i had like that's honestly not worth more than 140 because of how much weaker it is than a 6500 xt which is about where the 6400 typically sells for about now maybe 160 this 560 
that I tested, mm-hmm. I was like, if you had a 1050 Ti or 560 performance, it has to be below 100 bucks. They really can't make that right now. And this RX 564 gigabyte refurbished, and he had 56 for sale, <laughs> is $90 <laughs> out the door, two-day shipping. So I don't know how AMD competes with that, because I'm going to tell you, I think this RX 560 is going to be better than the Intel A310. Yeah. I, like, I think it's going to be. And it doesn't require PCIe connector, so uh, that's why the sub-$100 market is dying. Um, as for the rest of it, I, and I think in general, what used to be the case where you'd want to spend at least 150 for reasonable price performance, I think that's going to pretty much be $300 now. Yeah. And I, I really think the only hope is if something happens with the economic situation more than anything, where it becomes allowable for like a, where shipping prices decrease a lot. So I don't know, maybe the stuff like the 6500 XT and the 6400 can drift down 20 or $30 or something. Yeah, and and again, you know, am I saying there will never be like sub $300, sub $200 cards again? No, I think there will be. I just don't think it's going to be a consistent thing in a lineup that you just expect to come out every gen. Just like over yeah. time, we didn't see sub 100 a lot. Every now and then they do something. Like the GT 1030 was kind of the last good sub $100 card. I mean, honest to God, you know, I think what you'll see is when shipping prices are really low, when they think it makes sense and it's cheap to make something way better than what's on the used market for that price. And you'll see AMD do a run of some card for like 120 bucks when shipping's cheap and try to ship a bunch of them to a bunch of continents and keep them there for years (laughs) like they (laughs) tend to do. Uh, But otherwise, I think that's what you're going to see. Definitely not an Intel engineer writes in. And he says, what is the rationale behind NVIDIA gimping memory in memory bandwidth hypothetically on the RTX 4070, according to the latest rumors, which suggests that it might have a 160-bit bus with 10 gigabytes of RAM? How do you think this will affect usability aging of this card? Would there be any last-minute changes, like 10 to 12 gigabytes, to relieve these concerns? Because otherwise, to me, the 4070 doesn't look so good right now. Honestly, my answer to this, and it and it's um, kind of leading in to the next uh, story, is before I put out that NVIDIA oversupply, kind of like RTX 4090 update video, one of my better sources said, by the way, nothing is set in stone. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like guys, when we start debating, like, oh, is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? I just, it's hard for me to really comment on it unless... Yeah. Until it's finalized, I really have nothing to say. If it only has 10 gigabytes, it's it's, honestly my answer is the same as Navi 33. What's it cost? Is it going to be $400 with 10 gigabytes for like 3080 performance? That doesn't sound like the worst. Is it going to be $600? Sounds terrible. But I doubt it would be $600 if it's going to be that (laughs) way, by the way. Yeah, I mean, all I can really say is I don't think a 4070 that has a 160-bit bus sounds good. Uh, and the 4070, you would think they would want to sell for at least $500, and I don't think they would go for 400 so I guess we'll see. That, but Well, and, you know, again, like, when have they done this before, kind of? I don't know, how about the 3.5 gigabyte 970 that everyone still says is one of the best cards they ever made? Why? That's true. There's, there's no such thing as bad products, just bad pricing, and they called it a 970, but they priced it like it was a 960 Ti, and so everyone loved it. So eh, that's true. Like, I, I guess there's always the chance that they could try to do stuff like that again. My, my assumption is they'll try to keep the 
prices, uh, the price points at where they currently are. If not, I don't know, add 50 bucks to them if they can. Well, I wouldn't mind taking a second to talk about that, too, because I, I do think we might see an interesting tactic taken by NVIDIA where they do this launch that surprise surprise is built around the understanding that we are in a recession so what do you do if you're building a product for a recession you build for volume and cheaper pricing and you don't always go for top performance ampere was built like a lineup for people who have money to drop (laughs) like (laughs) yes but if you're nvidia what you would probably do is still have flagships that hit the top performance goals of about double 3090s performance and then position those for the people who will have the money to buy them. But then everything else in lower, especially the high volume sellers, which again, they still, it's a little hard to keep the 3070 in stock at MSRP. People want that 70 class and lower. What do you do? What do they do? Well, maybe they use a weaker die and, but so they can make a ton of the weaker die price lower. Like, and I could see a lineup where we see the 4090 being what we expected, the 4090 Ti being what we expected, but then even the 4080 and lower is like 20% weaker than we expected, but costs them 40% less to make. And they just focus on producing that because they don't, they know no one's going to buy the extravagance stuff anymore. Yeah, that's true. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully, even if they're going for a more bear market design, I guess, hopefully that it would still have like 192 bit 12 gigs or something like that. I would say that too, you know, I, I, if they charge more than $500 in a new generation, you got to have 12 gigabytes. I think, I don't know. I, it would have to be, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Like it, it's, it's, it's overdue. Um, like again, if Navi 33 were to be over 500, it either better beat a 3090 TI and have double the ray tracing or it better have 16 gigs of RAM or something, which Tamatayo writes in asking about this. He says, what do you think NVIDIA's plan is for dealing with Navi 33? Assuming that AMD hits its performance and volume targets, Navi 33 should beat the Ampere card still on shelves and raster and ray trace while being cheaper and using less power. Is delaying non-Halo Lovelace to quarter one, quarter two, 2023 really feasible? I don't think so. When AMD plans to launch with volume in October, or does NVIDIA have some other plan to stop AMD from taking mid-range market share? Well, right now, let's just... I know RDNA 3 launches in quarter four. I'm not doubling down on which week exactly the volume is <laughs> going to be there. Although from what I hear, before December, or at least the beginning of December, Lovelace volume should be there for everything from the 4080 to the 4090, and maybe the 4070s landing around then. Um, in terms of your question of how are they going to compete with Navi 33, I think Navi 33 is less affected from the prospect of a bunch of five hundred dollar thirty eighty ten gigabytes and a bunch of three fifty or whatever dollar thirty seventy eight gigabytes on the market, but it's still definitely affected. Like if there are thirty seventies for below four hundred dollars used, I think that tells you AMD's idea of charging five hundred dollars for an eight gigabyte card, which I they never were sure they were going to do that, but they mm-hmm. were definitely considering it. I do think that goes out the window, don't you, Dam? Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> So the question, though, I have is, when is it worth it? So let's just say Navi 33 is 6,900 XT performance in 1080p, 6,800 performance in 4K, and which I've seen a lot of people say, 
oh, it sounds terrible in 4K. And I say, well, only if you look at the glass half empty. And I'm not con- I'm not confirming this is what it will be, but like, mm-hmm. does it really sound so bad if it's like, this is an RX 6800 for $400 that has better ray tracing, <laughs> but it has eight gigabytes. That doesn't sound terrible to me, but it does make me go, I don't think it should be 500. I'm going to get away with that. Probably not. I mean, even in a... <sighs> Yeah, I, I, in a world where like used 3070s oh, or new 3070s, if they're too still clearing out stock, if I guess it depends on how low they could sell new 3070s for at a certain point. If uh, they don't have a Navi 20, uh, not Navi 20, Navi 33 competitor um, available by quarter four this year. Although I guess to me that uh, the idea of maybe I'm just wrong. I'm ju- I just a bit surprised at the idea of Navi 33 being coming out this year alongside Navi 31. I mean, that's kind of what it sounds like. And I do want to say this. People say, don't be a hundred percent sure though, is all I would say to people. And because I see people go, it has to come out before it. And I go, sounds like it could, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. There's definitely a chance AMD may go. We don't see a point in launching it yet. Right? They don't have to launch it until they want to. So I would remind people that if AMD doesn't want to launch it this year, they may delay it just like NVIDIA is delaying the 4060 and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, unless we're in a complete bear market by October, I still think it would make sense for them to release the Navi 31 and 32 and then delay 33. Unless... Yeah. <laughs> well, I, it's just going to depend on availability in the used market. And That's true. I, I would also point out that... I mean, I just ask a question to everyone listening. What is AMD going to do with Navi 33? Or or how is NVIDIA going to compete with Navi 33? I mean, when you look at a 10 gigabyte cut down 4070, I don't know. Maybe that's how they're competing with it, guys. <laughs> um, but besides that, I would say, I, I don't think Navi 33 is going to have a problem. I think you make something that's, let's just average it. Let's just, again, let's just, you know, whether it's 1080p, let's just say it's Navi 21 performance. For four hundred dollars instead of what was before, like six hundred to a thousand dollars. So it's like two thirds the cost at most, depending on the card you're talking about. Maybe less than half the cost, but it cuts the RAM in half. But its ray tracing should be significantly better than basically everything RDNA two had. I think for four hundred dollars, no one's getting a thirty seventy instead of that. That's used. It's a new card. It has better ray tracing than a thirty seventy. It has better performance. It uses less energy, probably, or at least similar energy. I don't know who buys that. Yeah, I, I, that's kind of just, I, I think uh, that world is kind of requires a complete reworking of the math everyone has in their head right now. Because at that point, I don't know, the 3070 should use should be like 200 bucks <laughs> if that's mm-hmm. what's on the market new. Uh, you think it's worth double the price for something that's just actually new, actually is better ray tracing, actually is. Yeah, I mean, I don't yeah, know. I, I would I'd say, say at least 100 bucks more. Yeah, but, but, somewhere in that range i guess but but um again so i I, it's hard to say exactly what each company should do because this is one of those things i just have to remind everybody we're not in quarter four yet and when you look at the agreements nvidia has with tsmc tsmc basically said well you bought this production it's going to be made when we said it is what we'll do is maybe hold the volume for you and ship it when you actually need it as Mm -hmm. long as you don't want us to make it wait an extra quarter more than one quarter <laughs> and so i think what you could see amd do is look at the used market have nvidia look at the used market and they both go yeah we're just gonna wait till quarter one 
Mm-hmm. And then if the used market is emptying, they both go, okay, how do we need to segment this? And they launch something a month after they make the final decisions. Um, I don't know. I guess the last thing I would say to this kind of like all over the place discussion is one of my sources said this boxes are not printed yet. They can do whatever they want, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> all right. Let us finally move on to story number two. NVIDIA RTX 4090 at 450 watts, all but 100% confirmed for October launch. I saw it all but because, I mean, remember the 3090 Ti guys? They just decided to not launch that in a given month. But sure. anyways, reading up the reading the write-up here. Various Lovelace cards have, been, have had a smattering of leaks suggesting various quarter three and quarter four release dates all year up until now. Well, Moore's Law is dead just firmed up one of them, the RTX 4090. In short, the RTX 4090 is currently planned to launch in October. It is planned to have a 450-watt TDP, being that around 12% cut-down configuration of 8102 that will aim for around double the performance of an RTX 3090, just like Moore's Law is dead leaked months ago, by the way. And interestingly, that 600-watt full 8102 card that was fully detailed to partners for them to prepare boards for isn't supposedly canceled yet. It seems that right now NVIDIA is most likely planning to launch the 450 watt RTX 4090 first in quarter four, and then they will launch a 600 watt RTX 4090 or maybe 4090 Ti or maybe even called a Titan card either at launch if they think they can barely win early against AMD or possibly later if they think they can get away with either not releasing it right away because they have the crown with something weaker or if they think that they need to tweak it more to win in the future. It must be noted that AIBs behind the scenes have complained a bit about getting the 600-watt designs working reliably, and that fast RAM is also coming soon, or faster RAM, I should say. So if NVIDIA can or should wait, they would be smart to. But yeah, I thought this was interesting because, I mean, a lot of people would say that's not really news, but the way I will phrase it is one of my just, this is S tier sources of mine. <laughs> that it seems like that 450 up 4090 really is locked in for October. With the reminder, nothing's 100%, but this is something that's briefed. This is what they're doing. And then when I asked a bunch of people about the 4090 Ti, they're like, eh, they're testing it and they haven't canceled it, but they're not no. telling people to prepare the launch for October yet. I mean, based on the uh, launch of the 3090 Ti, it would not surprise me <laughs> if the. Uh, validating those designs for 600 watts is extra difficult and i mean a a delay might be or i shouldn't say delay because it's not official from them but a later launch of the 4090 ti slash titan slash whatever they want to call it uh Mm -hmm. might be just required to not have a car that like doesn't to have a car that doesn't break constantly like we know Early 3090 TIs have the problems with. Well, 3090s. 3090 TIs were reliable. Early 3090s had. Oh, issues. yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what I think is so interesting to think about is all the reasons for waiting. And there are many reasons they might choose to wait if AMD wins, but they also might choose to wait if AMD loses. Like if AMD's top card launches and Nvidia feels confident AMD isn't going to launch anything in the next 6 months that beats them by more than a few percentage points, they might go, "Well, we're ahead by 10%. We don't need a 4090 Ti right now. Let's milk them with this. In a year we launch the 4090 Ti as part of a refresh of Lovelace, milk the high end again, just like we did with the 3090 Ti." But yeah. go on. Well, which it, 
if the uh, if Lovelace slash RDNA four is going to be another two year generation, that might not be a bad plan to have a like what uh, Nvidia's been doing for a while now is just have the mid gen refreshes that same dies more same dies more or less fill in holes and then get a new top tier of performance that they start selling. Yeah, and but again, it's funny because it's like okay, so you're saying if Nvidia wins by a lot that means they'll hold back the 4090 ti so if they lose they'll launch it right away well not necessarily because i think they'd launch a 4090 ti right away if they only lose by five percent and they think the 4090 (laughs) ti needs to be maxed out now to win by five percent again but that also doesn't leave much room for a refresh so they'll just accelerate some kind of other type of product lineup next gen Right, because you can see why they may launch the card now if they lose or if they don't lose. Right, that's what I think yeah. is so funny. It, it's it's basically this gradient of like, oh, they win by a lot. Well, then they don't need to launch it again. You know, oh, they lose by a little. Well, then they need to launch it. Oh, they lose by over ten percent. Well, then launching it now doesn't look good if the forty ninety Ti loses. So now they hold it for GDR seven, better yields, give AIBs more time for better cooling. Yeah, because. Uh... I mean, if there's literally no chance in hell that they could beat it right now, I mean, beat the uh, RDNA 4's top end, then three's yeah. 3's top end. Yeah, not 4. 3's top end, then there's no reason that they could would want to launch the 4090 TI, I suppose, because what? We're probably, like, talking 10% better <laughs> performance than the 4090 anyways. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, honestly, I could see it being... It depends. If it was right away... 600 watts i don't know i could see over 10 honestly i could see 15 like i could see at least 10 percent hopefully be held by by ram but if they could wait six months for either samsung's 27 gigabit per second gdr6 for gdr7 which i'm told the memory controller should be able to handle slower gdr7 like if they could wait for like 232 gigabit per second memory mid to late next year well i mean that right there <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're talking about something that would turn heads and it would look and that would get the people that get milked at the top to buy again they go oh i'm upgrading to the card 25 percent better or 20 percent better that has the newest memory you and then then they can do that and be confident amd's got nothing till rdna4 but again i don't think they'd want to do that you know if they wait long enough then you almost wonder if they make a new generation too but um Reese, there you are Reese here is not very hard to find. All you have to do is say her name and she shows right up, which is basically what you're doing online every time you're surfing the web without using a VPN. That is why today this piece of content is brought to you by Atlas VPN. Atlas VPN is a sponsor that has supported Moore's Laws Dead for a very long time. And so if you need a VPN, show some support to a company that supports me. Atlas VPN gains you access to content in other regions companies want to nickel and dime you for, despite basically already paying for it yourself. And they allow for blazing fast, competitive upload and download speeds on unlimited devices while also simultaneously stopping ads and malware and this includes malicious links and trackers trying to steal your data best of all they work to show you the best prices available while you're shopping online subverting attempts to gouge you based on your location and operating system that one is incredibly useful in my opinion and demonstrates that you're actually paying for something that's 
giving you some of that money back. That's right, it's saving you money every month despite only costing $1.83 a month. If you click the link in the description and use the code Moore's Law for three years of service. Clicking this link protects your data, saves you money, and really does help this channel a lot. If you need a VPN, support someone who supports Moore's Law is dead at Atlas VPN today. Tim C. Payton writes in, he says, Howdy, Tom. What is the limiting factor for the highest GDR speed a GPU can support? Is it the IMC on the GPU, the PCB? Could we see a mid-gen refresh with 30 to 50% higher effective bandwidth from faster GDR? And he puts it in asterisks again, speeds. Most mid-gen refreshes appear to top out at 10 to 15%. Um, uh, it's all of the things you, you mentioned, right? Like, here's a good example um well here's two good examples so ampere's memory that it uses for ga102 i believe it's using 21 gigabit per second micron gdr6x mm -hmm. yet i believe the 3080s stock speed for the memory is 19 and the 3090s yeah, is 19.5 so and then i think they went to 21 or something even though 23 was on the market <laughs> or they <laughs> they went they, they it's because it produced so much heat when they used the speed that it could actually like actually support. And so they didn't do it. Conversely, we have another example, the 290X. The 290X, if you guys Google it, had memory quite a bit slower than the 7970 gigahertz. And then the th 390X came out with memory that was a lot faster. And mm. AMD said the reason for that was... Um, or the reason they were able to do that with the 390X wasn't just they were holding back with the 290X. They said they had to do minor adjustments to the design of the memory controller to handle the faster speeds. So, oh, like, oh. there are times where there are these little tweaks. And so you could see a situation, again, where let's see, say AMD wins by 10%. They don't think the 4090 Ti could actually beat it. They know GDR7 is on the horizon. That is where you see them do maybe more than a mid-gen refresh. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe they do just do a GDR7 refresh. But you could also see a situation where they react kind of like how they did with Fermi. They have this hot, loud generation that uses too much energy, costs too much compared to the kind of just superiorly designed AMD competition. But then surprise, surprise, eight months later, they already have a full new generation with faster RAM, lower power usage. They could do little tweaks to the architecture and launch a whole lineup with the GDR7, and that could be like their Fermi 2.0 situation. So it would be both. It's the, there's a certain speed the cards can support right away. Um, sometimes, even if they can support higher speeds, like my 3090 actually overclocks the memory pretty well, it turns out. You have to be careful with temperatures, depending on the model. But then also, they, sometimes they can tweak it. Sometimes it is, you know, so it, it's all of the things, right? And it's not like I can just look at a card and tell you what its limit is without an engineer literally telling me what they found. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maverick writes in, he says, Hey Tom, I'm not sure this has been addressed, but in case it hasn't, I was wondering with AMD basically admitting TDPs will continue to climb at least in the data center. While chiplets won't necessarily decrease overall power draw attempts Would chiplet GPUs allow for higher performance while mitigating higher overall attempts for some monolithic design, spreading out thermal load. And if so, would this help to keep a modest increase in performance with each or at least every other generation? Thanks in advance. Well, yeah, I mean, spreading out the thermal load um, should help some, unless it's 3D stacked, and then it's, you have factor of, well, you got to deal with that problem, right? But yeah, like it's easy to, it's pretty easy actually to to cool 280 watt, 
Threadripper because the size of the of the surface you're cooling is significantly bigger than an i9. <laughs> it's, oh, and it's it's also you know distributed over multiple <laughs> chiplets, like he's saying. Yeah, so they're not even connected. So if like one's getting hot, they can move around the cores. Uh, like they do dynamically switch between cores for opportunistic boosting. Not just because some cores can boost higher than the others, but actually because they want to switch from one max boost core to another to spread out the thermal load back and forth. So AMD does that type of stuff as well. But I, I do want to talk about this thing of like the higher, you know, admitting TPU, TDPs are going to continue to climb. I think it's going to be bad a bad look if Lovelace has a 600 watt card that loses to a 450 watt RDNA3 card. I'm not saying that's going to happen necessarily, or I'm 100% sure it will, but if that does, it's a bad look. But that doesn't mean power usage isn't going to keep going up because Moore's Law is dead and people want more performance still. And how do you do it? Well, we just make 600 watts the high end standard, or I think 450 watts will be, by the way, and you make the mid range gravitate closer to 300 to 350 mm -hmm. watts. Um, I hope they don't go too much worse than that, but it sounds like three nanometers, not nearly as much better than four nanometer as, you know, like, you know, six to five. So you can see a situation where they're like, yep, three, three nanometer cards. They use 500 watts because we want to bring you another 60% performance boost or something. I, the only thing I can, I, I think at some point, something has to give with power usage. And I guess we're only at what? How long has this been going? I mean, can we even really call it a clear trend yet? I guess it's gen over it's gen like one going generation. Up. Hopefully, there's a reversal uh, after this generation. But you know, <laughs> performance has to come from somewhere. You know, yeah. And, and if, when there's competition, both sides want to be able to claim top performance. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if you talk about a trend, you go. Oh, Pascal used more energy than Maxwell and Turing and then Ampere. I guess that is every gen from NVIDIA has used more energy, I guess. But at the same time, yeah, but they were holding back. <laughs> <laughs> like, I would say if Blackwell uses more energy than Lovelace, that's where we can go. It is what it is. Um, but, and it, you also have to look at different tiers. So you're looking at the top tier. The 3070, I believe, I think that, like, what it, was it? RTX 2070 TDP. Although that is, you'd, to be fair, that is based on the 106 die, but that's 175 watts. So what is the super? Is it is it the same as the uh, 3070? That's what I want to look at. 215 watt. So yeah, it's almost the same. So mm -hmm. I don't know. At the top end, it's gone up. It's when you look at the mid range where we, I would say the trend will be clear as if we see 400 watt, you know, 50 70s. That's where you go. Well, the trend's definitely up. <laughs> yeah uh mate hacker writes in and he says i've heard you say a few times that rdna3 will come with a resurgence of compute focused capabilities as i'm weighing my choices on possibly picking up a new reasonably priced hopefully 30 series card versus waiting for amd's more energy efficient rdna3 i'm curious about what more you can tell us regarding amd's incoming consumer-based products will they be any closer to breakthrough to breaking through NVIDIA's CUDA foothold. And like, is with regard to Rockham, will it only work on Linux or is it part of the focus to expand the architecture to include Windows PCs and servers going forward? Uh, yeah, so AMD wants better support. They want, you know, like whether it's Linux or Windows, all they want to have more stable drivers, better drivers. We'll talk about that more 
in the uh, wrap up. But so all of that is yes. But honestly, at this point, I think breaking the CUDA foothold isn't even having to do with how good it well, it is having to do with how good their software is. But that is not enough. They could have feature parity with CUDA right now. CUDA is just still going to be dominant for years. It's going to take becoming a lot better for many years or crazy better for a few years for people to switch to AMD outside of specific tasks where they really don't care. But for, especially, I think, for like, semi-professionals they're just going to keep relying on cuda for a very long time well especially because a ton of professional software relies completely on cuda at this point right like yeah adobe <laughs> right yeah adobe, yeah, adobe does right I, and especially when it comes to stability there are some rendering and there are some applications you just need it especially in machine learning so that's so that's like part two of answering your question i'd say part three in terms of like a resurgence of compute focused capabilities. I don't know if that's the exact wording I use, but I mean, yeah, they're 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 gonna have much more compute with RDNA three, uh, I think relatively speaking per watt, shall we say, than they did with RDNA two, but that's because it makes sense in their opinion to move to that way of scaling performance now. Um and I don't know what else there really is to say about it. What I know is they want feature parity with NVIDIA. What I know is just that in of itself isn't enough to gain everything because CUDA is just dominant. Um, and no matter what you name, they want to nail it with RDNA 3. Machine learning, everything. So th th that's what I would leave that at. Uh, all right. Let us now move on to story number three. Gamers Nexus reviews Intel's A380 GPU, and more reviews will follow this week. All right, here's the write-up. Steve at Gamers Nexus has an A380, and he reviewed it. Honestly, let's not dwell too long. Let's get right to it. The A380 is a 6-gigabyte GPU with an expected $150 or lower price point, depending on the AIB model, and it only competes with an RX 6400 in performance. You're being generous because you are required to use resizable bar for the most part to get any type of usable performance, and it fails to be as efficient as almost any other card in its ballpark of performance. Uh, but there is one other thing worth mentioning. Steve found that the A380 will not really be playable often above 1080p and 1440p or higher does often gain relative performance to its competition like the 1650 and 6400 as you go higher in resolution. And according to Moore's Law's Dead Contacts, that's because of bad CPU overhead for Alchemist. Indeed, a few tech tubers with A380 reviews coming out this week as we're speaking have talked to Tom over the weekend and have been fumed, uh, fumed, <laughs> informed our channel that there are major CPU overhead and frame variance problems outside of simply not using rebar. One person who's friend of the channel, Igor at Igor's Lab, told us that the, his review will go live on the 20th, uh, which is the Wednesday of this week, and that he showed us some of the data. You should check it out. He says that there is massive stuttering and variance issues that are not adequately captured by simple point one percent and one percent low results supposedly a380's frame tracing performance is all over the place even when you use resizable bar and in lower resolutions the a380 almost always loses in relative performance to the arc 6400 even in games where at one in 1080p in fact he says he simply cannot recommend alchemist for almost anyone so i i bring all this up because these findings make sense and some of the benchmarks from gamers nexus even with only 0.1 percent and one percent low results did show this to a certain extent Intel didn't need to worry about CPU overhead and scheduling as much 
when they have like a decade of 96 at most execution unit models and integrated mm -hmm. graphics. Scheduling a 225 watt card with a 406 millimeter squared die requires more expertise than scheduling a 15 watt card. So the main question at this point, Moore's Law is Dead has, is if it's something they can improve with software or if possibly the hardware itself is over half of the problem. Anyways, for now, it's hard to be sure, but in all honesty, it is a bad sign that the 128 execution unit model already suffers from this because indeed that would point to there being horrific CPU overhead problems if you ever tried to launch a 3070 competitor. And uh, yeah, it's almost like Intel decided that there's no point in launching a 3070 competitor. But um, I don't know, Dan, you watched this review. I'm assuming you've looked around. Um, you've seen some of the data that's been shared with me before reviews go live from other channels this week. What can you, what, what are your thoughts on the A380? It is fully out and reviewed now, and more reviews will be dropping while, we, while this podcast comes out. I mean, yeah, it's not that impressive. You know, I, if it's better at encoding than its uh, competitors, I guess that's its use case, even though a wide release in the West doesn't even look like it's going to be much of a thing to begin with. Um, but mm. I don't know. It's bad. Uh, Gamers Nexus showed different benchmarks, uh, showed some benchmarks too with a uh, frame time variance. And from what I saw the the issue with the games they looked at, it wasn't quite as bad as what I, I saw elsewhere, but the issue is still there. And, it seems like it's probably going to be a game-dependent thing, what the frame time issue is. But uh, what was it? In one of the games, I think, uh, that they checked in Gamers Nexus, there was one-third second frame time spikes uh, uh, with, resize yeah. with resizable bar disabled, not enabled, because this is, as uh, everything se everyone seems to be pointing to, a useless card without resizable bar. <laughs> Which, yeah, that's the thing. Um, I was talking to Igor today, and he was saying, which, yeah, kind of makes it an issue if you want to get this card on an AMD system. Yes. <laughs> and you know, so, which they're very popular right now in the gaming market, uh, yeah, especially it, for budget builds. And I don't think, I think it needs to be emphasized, like, we're not talking about with, uh, where, with, like, with uh, Sam enabled on AMD, where you would get what? somewhere between like six, maybe 15% performance increases, depending on I the I mean, game. usually like low single digit. Yeah. This is like up to 40% performance increases with rebar enabled. Like it's significant. Yeah. And, and I specifically asked Igor and he, and he said, I, I was safe to uh, talk about it here. He said, okay. I said, are there any games where like, how is it half of the games, most games that have frame variants, and he says, even if it doesn't show up, uh, almost every game, if not every game, seems hmm. to have massive frame variance issues um, that if you really get into it and check closely, even if it doesn't show up, it's just it's just a nightmare that that you really have to you basically have to be at 1440p 30 hertz gaming for the scheduling issue to go away. And so I don't know. It, he, he even uh, compared it to Vega and said it seems to not have good utilization of the amount of uh, FP32 it has. And I'm like, huh, who also worked on Vega? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I cannot remember his name right now, but I know Roger who Kidori. you're Yes. God. But, I could uh, not think of his name. I thought you were playing but... Koi. I thought you were saying, yeah, I don't remember. No one ever brings him up. No, nope, um, I just forgot the name. <laughs> but yeah, so I don't, I don't know, guys. I 
what I just want to make it clear. Gamers Nexus has his review out. Check out Igor's review on Wednesday the 20th. I'm going to be reading it, and he ha- he'll see when he can get the video out. He says at least the written review will be out then. Um, for His opinion is half of the story on Alchemist's performance isn't out, that it is not as simple as just like they need to optimize drivers for each game, that there seems to be a fundamental scheduling issue that might be mostly software, but would be wrong to assume that, especially with a card this week already showing so many issues. Uh, yeah, and it makes you wonder if, like, there when there's four times more execution units, if it's just, oh, these are just 60 frame per second cards or something, and you're not going to get anything higher than that. Or at what point do you need to have an average frame rate at a given level to feel like an average frame rate at a lower level with competitors' True. cards? Because that's something I talked about pretty heavily. Like, I brought it up recently, actually, when I retested some old Kepler and even Fermi cards. And I've and I've tested some old GCN cards before Polaris. Like every generation, Nvidia and AMD are getting better frame times, pretty much. Oh, like, and, and and like uh, forty FPS with like the the newer generations of AMD and Nvidia, practically no variance in frame times. It seems at this point the, that that that's better than sixty FPS with uh, whatever older generations had, where it would like. <laughs> where it would jump around like crazy or it's like yeah and sure the average for 60 fps should be like 17 milliseconds but it jumps between i don't know 10 and 60 or 10 and 100 or something like that yeah it's- for like very very brief microseconds i i so i really have messed around with a lot of old gcn cards and i found that when i messed around with polaris and vega its frame times were significantly it, it just the same frame rate felt better than with Fury and especially with a 7970 or and with Fermi and you know uh, the car, Nvidia cards from that era as well but especially GCN 1.0 I would say the frame variance thing is notable mm-hmm. and and then I with RDNA 1 and RDNA 2 I found the frame times were just fantastic it just I said even comparing the Radeon 7 to RDNA 1 I'd say there's about a 10% bonus there for RDNA 1 and what feels better even at the same frame rate it just feels better at the same frame rate and that's only gotten better so from what i'm hearing alchemist is behind like vega and frame yeah. time control so like a lot behind maybe like gc1 i mean you said that um, when we looked at some of the data like you're like what is this gcn1 <laughs> that's what it looked like to me it looked like old gca and gcn 1.0 uh benchmarks but um so yeah i don't know do you have do you have anything else to say about the A380, Dan? I mean, like, I mean, I, I was hoping... it's hard for me to recommend it to anyone. I think Gamers Nexus said that as well. Like, we wanted a good, like, sub $150 card to recommend with six gigabytes. But honestly, the people who would usually buy this are people who aren't hardcore gamers. And it's, we can't really recommend this over something else. Yeah, and that's the thing. If it were like a $120, $130 bucks for, and didn't have the variance issues, maybe. But yeah, beyond that, I, I don't know. And especially like this is supposed to be a 1080p card. If this is already if this is CPU bound by like everything at 1080p, then uh, its usefulness is uh, a lot lower than it could be. So, yeah, yeah, it's I don't not know. an esports card really at that point. Yeah, so I, I, I guess given between the two, unless you need to do encoding, the 6400 is probably better. Yeah. 
QH Freddy writes, and he says, my issues with cards like the GTX 1630 is that most people only want one as a holdover before getting something faster. These cards are not useful for additional display outputs usually, and from what I understand, have crippled media engines half the time, not unlike Navi 24. Yeah, I've seen some arbitrarily disabled in lower-end NVIDIA cards every now and then, too. He says, it seems far more sensible to me to get an old 7950 or 7970 or some Kepler or Maxwell card at that point. They can be found for spare change on the used market and generally still work fine. Who cares about lack of driver support when all the games you can reasonably run on one of those cards came out before the drivers <laughs> were axed? Well, and I would point out that I have a GTX 580 and I'm just using its legacy driver. Most games are still playable on Fermi. It is like Assassin's Creed Valhalla that's just like, uh-uh. You know, <laughs> you're not booting this up, man. Um, and I would say when you go back to, like, used cards from Maxwell and later, they're still very well supported. So I agree. This is why AMD and NVIDIA don't really want to service this market anymore. Yeah, I, there's there's just not... I guess the used market service is a, a, adequately, even though, I don't know, 7950s are not going to... I feel like they're going to be continuing to diminish in uh in stock over time. Like that's how old is that? That's eleven years old now, something like that. It's I mean, let me see. What are these even ten years old on now. eBay? Yeah. I haven't pulled up. Forty bucks. Oh, that's I guess forty bucks is pretty cheap, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I could see why you'd get that if you could get it for like thirty bucks on Craigslist. I'd say ah. Yeah, I kind of actually do recommend <laughs> that over like an A310. I mean, might as well just get that instead at yeah. this point. Um, and, and it should be better supported than uh, Bear Me, at least. Uh, all right. Let's move on to story number four. Intel Alchemist update. Not the worst news, but definitely not good. On July 14th, Moore's Law is dead. Didn't just leak NVIDIA info. Technically, most of the video of that night was about Alchemist. In summary, after talking to several sources and receiving some documentation that Nvidia, that Intel, I'm sorry, presented to partners a few weeks ago, it was becoming clear that they were no longer attempting to take on Nvidia's RTX 3070 products head on. First of all, no A780 was mentioned in any recent documentation. And frankly, if I'm being honest, it hasn't really been mentioned by anyone for the past six months. And the highest tier SKU listed on this briefing was an A770, stopping at 225 watts and offering a decidedly mid-range 8 gigabyte option. Second, the A750 was planned below it to offer 448 execution units and 8 gigabytes of DDR6 over a 256-bit bus flying in the face of reporting last week still talking about 12 gigabyte 192-bit cards inaccurately. So just in general, the entire lineup seemed to be getting more memory, bandwidth, less RAM, and more EUs per tier. And again, no A780 was named despite documentation from a year ago showing them pushing 16 gigabyte 230 watt cards labeled as enthusiasts. The lineup therefore comprised of a 225 watt A70, 770, 512 execution units, 8 or 16 gigabytes placed between a 3060 and 3060 Ti in performance, a 225 watt A750, 448 execution units, 8 gigabytes of RAM competing with an RX 6600, and a 175 watt A580 with an unknown amount of execution units, but assumed by Moore's Law's at 256 to 384, still with 8 gigabytes of RAM competing with the RTX 3050, and an A310 with 4 gigabytes of RAM that frankly will be lucky to trade blows with a 1630 or 1050 Ti. And if you think about it, 
Their highest listed SKU has a cheaper RAM option now. The second tier SKU has less RAM than before, but more execution units. The cards they are comparing their lineup to are not flattering to themselves in terms of comparing efficiency. Then consider what we've already discussed from frame pacing. As usual, Ryan Trout is cherry picking the best case scenarios with the A750. Don't kid yourselves. Internally, Intel is comparing these cards to what has just been listed. And again, guys, just think about it. Why would they give the top execution unit model or one of the top execution unit models eight gigabytes instead of 16 now or have an option for that? Why would they take one card, give it more execution units in a bigger bus, but less RAM? They need more performance and they don't think the performance still justifies the amount of RAM to be more, right? Mm -hmm. So it just, things aren't turning out very well. I don't know, Dan, what do you think of this information? This is a pretty big leak from last week. Yeah, the, uh, the biggest thing is you know it's just a lot more pessimistic of a lineup than i was hoping for but you know colored by the the reviews of the a380 mm -hmm. it kind of makes sense it just it doesn't seem like there's really a spot for a i don't know 30 70 competitor with with what the technology that arc has like it just doesn't seem like it's feasible like i wonder if an a780 you'll pushing a bunch uh more wattage will even do that much uh versus the a770 with at 225 watts yeah and what i was thinking when i saw this was huh you know what i and what i said in the video is i don't think in intel sees a point in launching this flagship that's going to lose an efficiency to a 3070 to maybe trade blows with it they don't want to do another vega liquid situation that just kind of makes them look silly so that's why they're not launching it which i think that is still a large part of it but i also think there's honestly an argument that maybe it won't even scale like there's yeah, like, exactly well, there's a chance it won't even scale to that level of performance anyways and they know it that that at least it won't for the entire year until they fix drivers if they even can and so let's just get rid of these cards at a price people might pay and pretend it's a mid-range card yeah and i don't know when it comes to price i guess Twenty to thirty dollars cheaper to what they're competing with because I don't know they're all they're coming out years later and they are using way more energy <laughs> uh, than their competitors. It seems like that's the thing, right? When we talk about what pricing there is, and I've seen some people discussing this in the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, which of course you get access to if you support us on Patreon. And in it, I saw some people going, "Well, you know, an eight gigabyte." $350, let's say, 3060 Ti is something this market sorely needs. And I'm like, guys, in their own internal segmentation, they say that A770 is between a 3060 and 3060 Ti. And trust me, the A750, the performance Ryan Shroud, who, as we know, is always honest, not, uh, showed off benchmarks that were heavily cherry-picked. We already know or at least I do from Igor, that the frame variance thing tells a story that's very different than the average frame rates. So what you're really saying is it's worth paying $350 for a less efficient 3060 Ti that's weaker than a 3060 Ti with frame pacing issues. Is it? I think I, I, it's hard for me to come up with a fair price. I think the most they can do is like, 350 for the 16 gigabyte model because at least it'll probably be really good hopefully 
at editing and uh you know encoding yeah. and then everything else I, I think i'm sorry i think the a770 if it's a stuttery weaker 3060 ti well then i it should be priced like a 3060 you know it has eight gigs of ram too it's just i i i don't even know if i see the a750 as an rx6600 competitor which was they're going to try to argue it's better than but it's like the 6600 is 280 bucks right now in new why the heck would you get a a750 for anything more than 250 yeah i i mean it doesn't have more ram it, it, it might has be. issues I, if the frame variance problems holds across like most games then at a certain point it's just if it's that bad across every game it's like well you're kind of just taking off another tier of performance so if it's getting the same frame rates hypothetically as a 6600 i don't know maybe the experience you have is more similar to that of a 3050 maybe Mm -hmm. the 3050 is even better because at least you're getting 40 frames of (laughs) 40 frames with good frame pacing versus 60 frames all over the place yeah, I guess the only thing we could say to hope is that, again, they launched the A380 because it can game and it's weak. And then in a month, they which I think these are all supposed to come out in like August, like uh, they drop drivers that at least mostly fix the frame pacing. Maybe the frame pacing won't be as good as NVIDIA and AMD, but hopefully it's not what Igor has been telling me and other tech tubers as well that are like, this is trust us if you actually dig in the 1.1% lows don't tell you everything it's bad yeah and once again hopefully that can be solved with drivers and this isn't just a hardware level issue with uh arc because if not right then, then I, I guess we'll have to wait for battle mage to see what's an actual potentially good intel gpu lineup there's just no no way around it like i and i think i, I have been saying this that alchemist is kind of the beta the widespread beta test um i didn't expect to be this right about that yeah you know like that this truly does just feel like a complete beta test um all right let's move on to this reader mail here adding on to this discussion so qh freddy writes in and he says what do you make of intel's recent tech media tour with arc i've seen a lot of people praise them for being more open in quotes but to me it just feels like they are stalling and not really saying anything interesting it's some of it i can give a little i don't want to even say credit because that's being too generous but at least they're not being braggadocious about a product that doesn't deserve it anymore that's what i would say is the good thing but besides that i mean when they went on gamers nexus it was hilarious i guess you know a gamers nexus discussion with someone named tom from intel and ryan shrout was and they were like oh, well, Gamers Nexus already has the A750, so I don't know why you're saying its specs are different. And I said, watch the Gamers Nexus video. Do they say the specs? No. No. Yeah. They don't. They don't. So, like, all of these tech press tours, like, on, on the WAN show with Linus Tech Tips, uh, Intel isn't saying anything new. Like, literally, like, they're just, like, a few names have been confirmed. And, and then... Yeah, and then you see that weird um, Ryan show... Sh- ryan shrout a750 showcase where he says something like uh details performance in like eight games and then he like weirdly caveats and says now keep in mind this won't be performance in every game and it's like oh so you're just 
outright telling us you cherry picked your data. I didn't watch that. I have I have a link in the description. So, uh, so yeah, I know. And, and with the A three eighty. Uh, gamers, Steve at Gamers Nexus goes, and of course, this is rolled out in China, and then the A380 will be covered by most AIBs in the West soon. And he goes, uh, and Tom goes, uh, well, it'll be covered where AIBs want to cover it. Yeah. And so yeah. we we still don't really know where, which models are launching. And Ryan said, it's not going to be this performance. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that performance in the games they show, Tom, but uh, we can't promise good performance anywhere else. I mean, I don't, I don't know. And I know some people don't want to be overly harsh on Intel, and I agree. I said that I think in the last uh, broke news, broken silicon, right? But at the same time, saying like, can any? What if Nvidia showed off a graphics card and said, "By the way, this will not be the performance in other games." Yeah, because what? whenever AMD and Nvidia show off benchmarks, everybody already. Uh, super caveats of saying, well, and remember they're showing the benchmarks they want you to show which it's it's true they they literally are but i mean they don't tell you at the end they're cherry picking that just sounds like uh that just sounds like what's the term he, you would use here uh that, that just sounds like they're trying to diffuse any hype before it gets too big uh, and maybe well, trying a, to have their cake and eat it too, and still true. pretend it's better than a thirty sixty, even that's though true. internally I'm telling you they don't think it's better than a thirty sixty. Which maybe they they see a need to diffuse any amount of hype after seeing um, the Ampere launches and uh, RDNA two launches, where it was like, and they're gonna have three x performance, and it's like, okay, guys, well, we're telling you right now, it's. Not that, and we're not releasing a high-end card, LOL. Yeah, well, I, I just think it's so much worse than that, too. I think Intel just knows it's not good, and so they're yeah. trying to... But but again, I, I that's where people come in and go, well, at least they're being more straightforward. It's like, well, they would be if they showed benchmarks and they showed... Because you see this all the time. AMD will show a summary of performance metrics with their new card, and they'll show one game where it wins by 20%, but then they'll show a game where it loses by 10%, and even sometimes where it loses by more than that if it's a popular title. And Intel isn't doing that. They're only showing the best-case scenario with the A750 right now, where they won't even confirm the specs for some reason publicly. They won't even say which AIBs are going to make it. You can't praise them for being open if they don't show the other scenario, because based on what Igor is telling me, the other scenarios are, like, really bad. I don't think it's better than a 3060, guys. Um, which I guess we're already kind of bordering on talking about this. Let me um, move on to story number five. Ryan Shrout oddly claims Intel never intended to build a high-end Alchemist card, despite a mountain of evidence from their own PowerPoints from a couple of years ago to the contrary. <laughs> All right, let's see. Yeah, I don't have a, I don't have a write-up for this one formally but here's what i'm going to do i'm going to quote ryan shrout and then i'm going to list some of the evidence i have in links here so ryan shrout says despite some rumors to the contrary there is no intel arc a780 and there is never planned to be an a780 let's just settle that debate well thank you ryan i said that last week so thank you for confirming there isn't an a780 after i said there's no a780 but what was odd and I think this plays into some really weird PR from Intel, is in interviews, 
him and this Tom guy are acting like they never intended to go for a high-end car, the high-end. Guys, in 2018, Intel released a bunch of concept art of high-end Z cards or XE cards with massive coolers and said that they were going to launch XE products that offered mid-range and enthusiast tiers of performance. Link in the description. They literally have a PowerPoint slide where they show low-end discrete, mid-range discrete, enthusiast discrete. They literally said they were going to launch enthusiast cards and called it a graphics odyssey. And we also know that Alchemist SOC1, leaked by me, by the way, everybody, has a bigger die than the RTX 3070 Ti and is based on a 6 nanometer node instead of Ampere's 8 nanometer node. That's, I don't know who, and I and it's a little scary to me some people are buying into this. Intel, clearly, totally plan to compete in the high end this generation. Their own PowerPoint say they did, guys, if you're arguing. And Ryan saying they were never get basically because it's this tweet, but then it's also him on podcast saying, "Oh, we were never going to do that." Yes, you were, and you're lying. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know, I, I don't know what to add to that. Like, it, it's they were clearly aiming at the at a minimum the high end, and rhetorically they said enthusiast here, even if they never, I guess, said the A seven eighty before the naming scheme was even officially announced. I, I, I guess. <laughs> You know, yeah, and I just I'm sorry, I've got to say this here. Um, Ryan Shrout is somebody who founded Shrout Research, which is a shady firm that commissioned pay for news reports and received heavy criticism from tons of people in the tech press years ago at PC Perspective for publishing misleading paid for reviews from Intel. Links in the description outlining what happened. He's the architect of Intel's dodgy real-world performance tactics during the Coffee Lake era that saw Intel pay principled technologies for a 9900K review that claimed the 9900K was like 50% faster than a 2700X. (laughs) And in the fine print, they said they disabled half the course on the 2700X. This is the Ryan Shrout, guys. I I just have to say this because I saw a few people on Twitter saying like, oh, well, he can... Dude, nothing, Ryan Trout. More often, it's a lie if it comes out of Ryan Trout's mouth. And it's documented. Principled technologies, real-world performance, Trout research, lie after lie from this guy. Like, it's documented. And now, we have Intel's own PowerPoints from years ago saying, we're going to compete in enthusiast gaming. And now he's saying, oh, well, we always just wanted to do the mid-range. No A780 was ever planned. If why this would be the one time Intel's he's telling the truth when they have their own PowerPoint saying pointing out he's lying. It's just the intelligence level of someone that would buy that. I don't know. It's bad. It's bad. There's a history of lies. Intel's already said they are going for enthusiast. The only thing left I can say is I want to thank Ryan for getting me about a thousand subscribers over the weekend because <laughs> my like ratios for my videos, the amount of people joining the channel has exploded. Ryan, most people know you're lying. I, I mean, I, I don't know what else to add to that. Like, it, it's so clear that they, I, I mean, I think people were a bit skeptical when they said, like, they were going after the enthusiast here, but we tried to say, well, what do, what could they mean by that? And I, I would say the minimum you could go say is the, uh, the 3080. And I think that's what it seemed like most people thought. That's what they were suggesting until. Well, they always year. told me that their goal was, 
3070 Ti, maybe. And the funny thing is, is the benchmarks they showed were 3D Mark, <laughs> where they some some of their overclocked models could beat a 3070. Most of them were just around a 3070. Um, but it was always in 3D Mark where they were doing the best. And now we're learning, well, there's a reason for that. I'm sorry, what mm -hmm. were you saying? No, it's just they were clearly signaling that this was at least supposed to reach the high end this year, which I would say that the 3070 is the cutoff for that. 3070 made sense, and they clearly just can't reach that at this point. Or it, maybe with their CPU overhead problems, like they literally can't reach it uh, because there's just a cap at how strong art can be, at least with its current software. Yeah. And and that's that's what it seems like. I think Intel was I, I mean, I'm telling I have the production schedules, guys. They they were plant they manufactured the dies um I I mean January, February, and March. Uh I think some production maybe in April with SOC two, the smaller one. They've been making the these cards have been made and stored in a warehouse for a quarter now. And why would they have not launched anything yet? Like Usually it's like one quarter after production at most it's launching some stuff. It's because they were hoping to fix the drivers. And I think they realized, Hey, shit or get off the pot. They had to launch something and they're not confident they'll ever get the drivers to a state where they can have a flagship. So they're just not going to do it. And I, I'm sorry. Can we really, are we going to pretend that this clearly something behind the scenes hasn't gone wrong? Like completely saying you, you ignore leaks. Uh, their Intel, uh, what was it? Their, their big, uh, coming out party for Alchemist and well, their entire Intel, uh, GPU lineup when they announced, what is it? Arc, uh, Alchemist Battle Mage and, uh, what's the C supposed to be? I can't remember right now. Celestial. Celestial. Yeah. Uh, their, one of their big advertising images shows two chips next to a desktop and a laptop. And it says, Coming quarter one, 2022. Do we think something yeah. probably went wrong? Because we're getting close to quarter uh, three at this point. No, we're in quarter three. We're sorry. in quarter three. We're in the middle of quarter I know. Three. A week ago, I saw a comment that said, if you were to tell me one year ago to this day, you'd be doing a leak about the Alchemist lineup launching in quarter three. I wouldn't have believed it. Yeah, because they said and it was coming like, in quarter one. Yeah. So they did. Uh, it's currently four months late. Yep. Nothing went wrong. Just like nothing went wrong with the 3090 Ti, Tom. They just said it's coming in January, and then it launched a month and a half after that. That's right, Ryan. Nothing's gone wrong. You guys intended to take two years to launch a 225-watt version of a 3060 Ti that stutters. That's Everything's going to plan. This is exactly what you wanted out of a 406 millimeter squared TSMC, <laughs> six nanometer. You see it was all this is what you wanted the whole time. By the way, that'd be worse if they actually wanted this. It was all part of our master plan. We wanted to get people excited so they could progressively think less and less of this launch. Yeah. Again, the only good thing I'd say is at least the hubris from Intel has gone on this stuff, but it's because they have no other option. And again, I don't know. It's weird to literally say never planned because I reached out to, it was, they, they, as late as late, late last year, they were planning some A780 flagship with 16 gigabytes that competed with the 3070, or at least beat the 3070 was the goal. And yeah, I leaked. It isn't coming out. 
And then Ryan just jumps out two days later. It, it isn't, and it never was. Right, right, Ryan. All right. Let us move on then to story number six. Leaked Raptor Lake benchmarks continue to line up with Raptor Lake leaks from a year ago, suggesting around 8 to 15% higher single threaded increase from the big cores of Raptor Lake and, you know, 30, 40%-ish increase in multi-threading in some apps, of course, depending. Um, I don't have a write-up for this. What I have is a smattering of various engineering samples. Like I have one here, a 5.5 gigahertz 13900K that got 7% faster, I think, single-threading than an i9, 48% faster, multi-threading. Let's see, I've got another one here, another engineering sample, 10% faster, single-threading than a 12900K, 35% faster, multi-threaded. Um, and it all just continues to line up with a Raptor Lake that in some scenarios will have higher performance per clock, but most of the time it's... I compared it to Tiger Lake recently for a reason. It's, you know, faster clocked, better performance, except this time they're adding more little cores. So it, it all seems to line up with what we expected. Um, and then I also even threw in just for fun, a Zen 4 engineering sample leak that showed 10% higher performance per core. I mean, performance per clock. So <laughs> exactly the IPC increase AMD has been talking about with Zen 4. I, I don't know how much there is really to talk about Raptor Lakes and four engineering sample leaks. This is the season where we're just getting dozens of them a week, but they're all lining up with what we expected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't think there's too much to say. I mean, that's uh, uh, other than that's a pretty good performance uplift, I guess, in a single generation. And I think we are going to have uh Raptor Lake and Zen four more or less competing with each other uh, pretty closely. And it's, kind of just a matter of which one is going to have the better uh, platform more than anything. It seems like that's what I think, you know, we've or I mean, again, it's like, what have we seen? Um, we're seeing engineering samples that seem to pretty, com- pretty resolutely confirm about that eight to 15% single threaded increase uh, for Raptor Lake. We know that that puts Zen four then of needing, uh, what is that? It probably needs to get to like a, 25 to 30% to match it in single threading. So it's going to be close. And I, like I say, I think in most metrics, they're going to be within like 10% of each other. I, they're just, they're going to be about the same, but Raptor Lake's going to use more energy again. And then we have benchmarks from AMD showing over 40, they, you know, Robert Hallett confirmed over 40% multi-threading increases in multiple apps. They're, they're very close. They're going to be very close in performance I've seen a lot of leaks of like, oh, you know, maybe will one of them hit six gigahertz or whatever. It's like, I, they're going to both be clocked faster than their previous gens. Zen 4, a lot more than Zen 3. I would wait before you double down on any top clock speeds for both of them, though. Yeah, and yeah, both of them are going to be, either way, both of them are going to be the fastest CPUs that have, or faster than any CPU uh, clockwise than anything that it came out prior, really, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, I guess we don't know where it's going to land. If they're going to just stop at five point five gigahertz, or if there's going to be some that go to like five point six or five point seven. But uh, no matter what, I think that's good. And yeah, like I said, I like I said, yeah. It, it all depends on the platform. And I guess I should add uh, which comes out first because if 
Zen 4 manages to beat Raptor Lake by like three months or something, then I think uh, a lot of people get Zen 4 instead of Raptor Lake. Hmm. see what's wrong? Heat getting you down? No? You're paying too much for Windows keys? Well, come on, you know you don't have to do that by now. After all, it's certainly been no secret that CDKeyOffer.com has been a reliable sponsor of Moore's Law is Dead for years. They're the go-to place that I recommend my fans use for getting PlayStation, Microsoft Office, and Windows operating system keys for reasonable prices. You don't want to spend a ridiculous amount of the percentage of your build's price on a Windows operating system. Go to CDKeyOffer.com to get a legitimate, reliable key to build your new system without wasting too much money. I use them to make the Alder Lake system next to me for benchmarking graphics cards. And if I build a Zen 4 or Raptor Lake system this fall, you can bet I will be going to cdkeyoffer.com right away to get a reasonably priced Windows 11 key. If you do go to cdkeyoffer.com, make sure you use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off Windows software and DieString to get 3% off everything else on the website. They even sell gaming chairs, mice, and keyboards right now. It's a good place to go to to get reasonably priced products and to also show your support for Moore's Law is Dead. Go to cdkeyoffer.com today. All right, J. Maddie Ice writes and he says, Hi, Tim and Dale. With the Raptor Lake i9 having so many cores, many of them being e-cores, almost all, two-thirds of them being e-cores, isn't the top 16-core Zen 4 chip going to need to dominate in single-threading performance to at least tie multi-threading? Uh, not necessarily, because AMD themselves have said their multi-threaded performance increase, or IPC as they called it, is higher than their single-threading IPC increase. I would say remember that performance per core is tricky. Is it performance per one core? Performance per 10 cores? Like Ryzen uh, 1000, Zen 1 was commended for having very efficient SMT. And I remember Intel's Haswell specifically having higher IPC, I believe with its hyper-threading than usual, like kind of being the one that really made hyper-threading scheduling very good. Mm-hmm. So these are there's multiple ways to get to higher performance. and the other thing I think you might be forgetting, J. Maddie Ice, is let's say, and I, I don't know, we know they get to at least 5.52 gigahertz with a pre-qualification sample of Zen 4. All right, let's just say hypothetically they max it at 5.6 gigahertz for single threading. Could be higher, but let's just say it's 5.6. Well, they said the game they were running, every core running that game was at 5.5. Uh, without a problem. So it's like, well, what if they boost to like 5.6, 5.7, but all core boost is 5.2, 5.4. Well, that means they boosted single threading clocks from Zen 3 by only about 10%. The 5950X is 4.9. And even sometimes on some SKUs, it's stock with it, 5 gigahertz, actually. So that's like a 10%, a little more than that single threaded boost clock increase. Going from like 4.4 to 5.4, like you're 30%, (laughs) you know, clock speed increase in multi-threading. So that's how their multi-threading increase may be significantly higher than the single-threaded increase. Because in single-threading, it's like 10% higher clocks, 9 or something percent higher IPC. Maybe you'll be more clocks than that. Maybe it gets to 25% in ties, Raptor Lake or something. We don't know for sure yet. But then in multi-threading, we know the it's just way high. It's higher IPC and higher boost clocks. Yeah. Brett Summers writes in, he says, hello, Tom and Dan, just wondering if you've heard of anything in regards to the segmentation for Zen 4 
Or is this still too far out? I tend to agree with you that when it comes to AMD needing to price an eight core at $300 or give or take 50 bucks, that they're going to need to do something different to combat the i5 6 plus 8 Raptor Lake. Um, let me think of this. So let's say there's an effective tie between 16 versus 24 or 6, 8 plus 16. Remove eight little cores. Remove two big cores. And then with AMD, you cut the core count in half. We're talking about, yeah, so I guess I would still kind of see that as a slight advantage over eight. You know what I mean? I I, I, I think... Um, you're moving 10 cores, you're moving yeah, eight for AMD. I, I think, uh, yeah, you're you're also only removing a quarter of the big cores from exactly. the i5. So. Like, I, think, I think the advantage probably would go to Intel there and... I think we've talked about that before. Yeah, that probably will be a problem for AMD if they can't, or for AMD at the low end or mid-range, I guess, if they can't really make a economical product that is below uh, eight cores for desktop. That that could be a problem at the lower end, I guess. Right, because, you know, I think there's an easy way for me to do the math on this question. I'll use Cinebench for, but I'm not using single threading. I'm going to use multi-threading here because so it beats the 5800X in Cinebench, which is, you know, definitely favors Intel right now, I'd say <laughs> by, uh, let's see, multi-threading. It beats the 5800X by about 10%, maybe 15%. So here's what we need to think about. If we know Zen 4 brings 40% higher multi-threading, I don't know, actually, <laughs> you know, you're talking about a 5700X would probably beat the i5 and multi-threading by, yeah, by like 20% or more. So then you go, okay, well, they're keeping the same amount of, of big cores. So if I, yeah, so I don't know, actually, like we're, we're talking about something that is going to be close. Actually, I could actually see it being pretty close. That an eight core 5700X, which, or I'm sorry, 7700X, which again, guys, remember right now, the 5700X is priced the same as the 5600X or lower. So they're willing to sell an eight core right now for $300. They might be able to again, and there's a chance that's actually enough to make it just trade blows at everything with the i5. But AMD goes, hey, it trades blows at everything, but at least you know it's all big cores. Mm hmm. So I don't know if you're looking up anything else while we're talking there, Dan, but I, no, I don't no, know that it would be that hard, but they're not going to be able to charge like 500 bucks for it or something. I don't think so. No, there's no way they could. <laughs> it's just, I, I just don't think there's a world where they could really like the, the, uh, the I fives are really back uh, in a way that they, I don't think they have been for just a, a really long time. Let us move on. To story number seven, AMD seemingly confirms Threadripper is pro only from now on. And I'm quoting from a press release from AMD that I actually feel like has flown under the radar for a lot of people. Uh, AMD, creative professionals know that time is money and Threadripper processors have evolved to become the trusted platform to help world-class content creators get more done in less time. 
In March of 2022, AMD released the Ryzen Threadripper Pro 5000 WX series of processors with our OEM partner Lenovo and the ThinkStation P620. This legendary capability. God, you gotta love market, market, uh, speak. Yeah, or what is it? Uh, marketing speak. This legendary capability is now expanding into the Dell Precision 7865 workstations as we speak. As AMD continues to expand its workstation business, we're happy to share that Ryzen Threadripper Pro WX series processors will be available at leading system integrators worldwide beginning July 2022. We also expect to make these processors available to our do-it-yourself community later this year. And then there's a area, area of the press release that's labeled simplifying the platform. Threadripper processors have always been a platform that is defined by leadership performance and capability, which enables unlimited creative potential. Examining what our most demanding enthusiasts and content creators value most in the platform has led us to unify the Threadripper and Threadripper Pro product lines. Going forward, underline that. Going forward, the Threadripper platform will now use a single common infrastructure. This means there will be one set of Threadripper Thro Pro processors to AMD Ryzen Threadripper Pro Silicon. Man, say that sentence 10 times fast. This also means that all Threadripper processors will natively offer 128 lanes of PCIe Gen 4, 8-channel UDIM and RDIM support for more flexible memory configurations, massive L3 cache, plus the benefit of security and manageability features common across the Ryzen Pro family processors. Impressive hardware specs like these are a large part of why Threadripper blah, blah, blah. Then there's another section that says overclocking support. In addition to pro feature sets, users will still have access to the same exciting features that made Threadripper non-pro processors a true enthusiast platform. Select WRX80, which is the pro one, of course, with all the memory channels, motherboards from our ODM partners will support both memory and CPU overclocking asterisk asterisk for users looking to push the limits of their workstation even further. So... Yeah, I mean, they're bringing out Zen 3 Threadripper Pro to do it yourself and more uh, more of their partners before that, like Dell instead of just Lenovo. And they literally have a section simplifying the platform, moving, you know, going forward, Threadripper is now common. And then they're adding overclocking support to some motherboards. This is something that we have been dancing around, Dan, talking, and wasn't it this whole year? This idea of like, are they going to kill off <laughs> what we think of as HEDT and only have a workstation. I think they just said yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, th they kind of just unceremoniously killed uh, what their, <laughs> their, I guess, low-end Threadripper uh, line, or their, uh, sorry, HEDT. And, you know, we've been talking about it all. Is it all year? I feel like it's more than that at this point. It's been it's, a while. It's, uh, it's more than a year because we had a, I had a big video that centered on this when I leaked Fishhawk Falls last year. Yeah, it just seems like there's less and less of a place for uh, the, HEDT, uh, the HEDT space in the market because, you know, desktop is kind of eating into it a little bit for, I think, most people that need HEDT. So if you need that extra I.O., uh, you know, go to the more expensive platform is, uh, mm -hmm. I think, what they're saying. And rest assured, I am working on a, well, an everything update. I mean, Turin, you know, Bergamo information, uh, all Epic and Threadripper platforms coming out. I'm working on kind of looking into like Zen 5C, all of this stuff, you know, different what models are going to have, Vcash, all of that. 
um, right now is an upcoming leak. And a major part of that is, so are they doing this forever? The one thing I will drop now is an early whisper from multiple people. AMD isn't against launching non-pro Threadripper again. They might. And my suspicion is they're going to wait for Sienna to come out, which Google it, AMD Sienna. This is the one that will go up to 32 core Zen 4 or 64 core Zen 4C. That makes a lot of sense as a Fishhawk Falls compet- uh, a, a mainstream workstation competitor where Intel has 24 core all golden cove or all raptor cove after that and amd says well, we have all big core but 32 cores and it has four memory channels and we're not wasting all of this money or, or just wasting the silicon disabling part of it for artificial reasons right now they only want threadripper pro and what's interesting i also will also say is it's a mixed bag on if it's just to charge more money actually mm-hmm. i i i We'll see. Do I think they're going to lower prices for Pro with Zen 4? No, but I wouldn't necessarily take that to mean they won't offer some more gamer-focused SKUs for lower prices than you might think in the worst-case scenario. But it, it, it just depends how you frame I, it. I, I mean, it, it, it'll be more expensive than HEDT no matter what. But <laughs> It will. But I, I, I still say, you know, is it cheap right now? I mean, my God, Zen 2 Threadripper, like, what did that start at? Like $1,400 or something? <laughs> Did it? Was it that high? I, I swear there was. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, you're, had, I think you're right. And yeah. remember, Zen 1, Zen Plus, I mean, the 16 core with Zen Plus was 900. They had eight cores Zen 1 that got down to like 500 bucks. Like, either way, it's been really expensive. So depending on who I ask, and some people have said a little more, but it's mostly we don't see a reason to artificially segment high and raise pricing. But then you'll see other people go, we don't know why we're giving away these processors for cheap. So uh, it, yeah. it just depends how you look at it. So I guess what I would take away from that tentatively, and it is very tentative, but for now, that the way they're segmenting Zen 4 Threadripper is pro only, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to double the price. I'd expect cost a little more, but I wouldn't expect them to necessarily double the price and don't rule out that they might keep like a 24 core and not make you buy the super, super expensive stuff. And it is consistent that they're not against launching a HEDT lineup again, but I really do think it's going to be based on the Sienna Silicon that just costs less to make because especially, you know what, as they move to like Zen four with five nanometer for the chiplets and even six nanometer for the IO dies, they may go, we can't justify disabling some of that six nanometer Silicon for <laughs> artificial reasons. So, yeah. And, and you know, I, the the amount of bandwidth right on AM5, I mean, uh, the amount of uh, I/O on AM5 is going to be comparable to uh, what was it called TRX4, right? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be comparable uh, to that. No, it's not going to have the same amount of lanes. It's, well, it's, it, it has fewer mean. lanes. It has but fewer it's a lot lanes. Of bandwidth, though. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, I, I maybe that will service the people that need it. I will. We'll see if a bunch of people complain because. It has half as many lanes, so so it's a yeah. lot fewer lanes, but kind of similar bandwidth, I should say. Yeah, so uh, more than before, they're pushing, you know, when people ask why are they supporting PCIe Gen 5 SSDs early, why are they adding more lanes of 5.0 and adding all, it's like, well, they want to beef up the extreme model a little bit because they don't see a point in uh, HDT anymore, and it's just interesting to see this finally be announced as 
I suggested it probably would be. I think a year ago. I think it was quarter three last year. I talked about uh, Fishhawk Falls and how it seemed clear that Intel wasn't was done with HDT. But then also I thought about it. And I'm like, hasn't AMD kind of already killed it off? <laughs> I mean, yeah, they haven't had a they haven't had an HDT since what 2018, right? 2019, mm-hmm. maybe. I, I can't remember when Zen 2 2019 right and a 2019 for Zen 2 Threadripper. They've had little things here and there. Um, yeah. Here's to hoping they launch some, you know, Vcash version for a limited release to make the Zen 2 people happy. Uh, <laughs> doubt it, but, you know, never say never, I suppose. It's always an option. I'm Patty Cakes writes in, the Zen XC, so in other words, 4C, 5C, and the like, sounds fantastic in my opinion, but really it's sounding like it's very focused on the hyperscalers. Is there going to be decent availability in systems from the big vendors with Zen 4C like Bergamo for us to buy on Newegg? Or is it more going to be pushed straight to data centers with less support than normal vendor for normal vendors? I don't know. And I've actually never thought to ask about that. But honestly, as we just wrap up a new story where we're talking about it taking years for Zen 4 to come to officially, I mean, it's been sold by different vendors unofficially, I think I'm doing for a while, but bringing these Zen 3 WX processors officially to do it yourself, and um, and it's still just for the Pro chipset, it makes me wonder. I, I don't see Bergamo-based Threadrippers coming very quickly. I, I don't know about no. that. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I get the impression that at least 4C is for <laughs> data centers, and that's about it. And maybe like they'll bring it to customers, like yeah. probably not just sold. Maybe, maybe they'll bring it to five, uh, 5C or 6C or something. It will come to consumers eventually if there is a reason to bring it to desktop over just having half as many big cores. But I, I think if you're just using this as a desktop, having half as many big cores is probably better. Yeah, and I don't know what the yields are going to look like. Like, I don't know if there will be some yields that are so much less efficient they don't want to sell them as Epic, which is one of the reasons they made Threadripper. They're just like, yeah, these aren't... But, you know, they have so much demand for their products right now that they can't keep in stock and with long lead times. I wonder if they're like, yeah, but this is just the crap edition of Epic. You know, maybe they still just come up with that. And I, all I'm saying, though, is there's, there might be one consumer SKU they come up with soon or next year where they're like, this is the one to get rid of the absolute worst yields. What will that be? I don't know. I've talked to some other people and it's right now there doesn't seem to be anything else planned, though. I continue to think it would be interesting, depending on how it performs, if they brought out a Zen for, a 32 core Zen 4C for AM5 as a, you know, and, and literally called it like a bread ripper, like, like AM5 edition or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, put put W like a 796, like, so 32 cores. So yeah, they might call it like 7970 or 7960 WX for AM5 or something. I don't know. I think that's something they might you do to get rid of some yields. But besides that, I don't see them bringing bergamo to threadripper platforms right away could be wrong though i i have not i haven't asked you know Mm -hmm. all right let us then move on to the wrap-up this is of course the stories that did not warrant getting their own main discussion but we thought they were worth mentioning um i thought this was another interesting amd press release here where they talk about industry leading stability 
And they're starting to directly compare themselves to NVIDIA, like saying things like we do 26 main driver releases a year. NVIDIA has done 20. We're consolidating all of our drivers together to be unified for mobile, desktop, and gaming. We um, have 6,000 test systems for our products. NVIDIA, to, I don't know where they get this from, is 4,500. It is interesting to see AMD talk about all of their driver features like image sharpening, AMD link, Radeon super resolution. They're talking about that and talking about getting to a level of stability they believe is better than NVIDIA moving forward. This is the type of stuff I expect to see. Honestly, I think there's going to be there'll be multiple reveals for RDNA 3. I think the first one is just going to set the standards of what to expect. Maybe sandbag a little bit to make sure no one expects four times RDNA 2 performance. And then they're going to talk about stability, I think, for... I think the first RDNA 3 reveal is going to be vague, kill off the craziest rumors, and then talk about stability a ton. Because they know they need to kill the AMD drivers are bad narrative before RDNA 3 launches if they want people to... If they're going to maximize capitalizing on any potential performance wins. Yeah, and if they can do that with RDNA 2 or at the end of the RDNA 2 generation, that would be even better. (laughs) Yeah. Because so, then there just uh, won't be a question anymore. But I do think this is interesting and, and very commendable that they're like, hey, we're we're putting in the money. We have more test systems than them. Mm-hmm. We will get to a better level of stability. And, and, and I think they need to. Um, let's see. New little core architecture confirmed for Meteor Lake. What was it? Uh, it doesn't technically say what it is, but I just... Look, I think we all knew Meteor Lake was probably going to have a new little core. I've leaked mm-hmm. that a long time ago. But Igor has a la- a slide that literally says it's new, so eh, mentionable. Um, Intel raising prices on Xeon CPUs by twenty percent, citing inflation. I would actually say that's two things. Number one, it is inflation. But <laughs> what I know right now is that investors are really mad at in- Intel when it comes to margins. So I do wonder if some of this is that making sure that they don't get any worse. Mm um what else do we have here i I thought this was a good video to include it's by uh the fox so the and then p-h-a-w-x he does a gpd win max 2 handheld gaming like laptop comparison between an intel 1260p and an amd 6800u and man at 15 watts does amd have a performance win here in some of these games. I just think this is worth pointing out. It's something Jared's tech has also been talking about recently that really we do need to talk about how below 35 Watts, AMD just crushes Intel and efficiency. And when it comes yeah. to Phoenix versus Raptor Lake on the same known as node as Alder Lake, I, I don't, I, I don't think it's going to be pretty guys. Yeah. I, I, I don't have much more to add to that other than like, it's crushes their performance to like a surprising degree you know yeah like it's it's just unfortunate more systems aren't using it (laughs) well more are probably than you think i just don't think enough people talk about it they just look at a boost clock benchmark for one minute and then forget that long term the intel's losing by you know double digits in a lot of these systems i I honestly wonder when it comes to raptor lake versus phoenix if we're going to be back to the same situation as uh 14 nanometer coffee lake and comet lake systems versus uh saison where it's just it takes like a 95 watt intel processor to win Mm -hmm. um let's see kepler 
Kepler saying uh, Navi 33 is going to use the 7600X. Um, yeah, I mean, I think at this point that's becoming pretty obvious that AMD's not going to get away with a 7700X with 8 gigabytes with Navi 33. We've already talked about that. The one thing I would say, though, what if they took Navi 33, gave it 16 gigabytes of RAM, full die, 7700X, cut it down, eight gigabytes, $400, like 7650 XT or something. That's the one thing I don't know, though. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I, I, I think I would prefer to see Navi 33 remain in the 600, but, you know, if Navi 33 were a lot bigger than I uh, than we assume it is, I, I guess it could serve as the 7700 XT as well. No, but... Uh... I, and I think it's below 400 millimeters squared, most likely at this point, uh, from what I've been told. But you, you what? Uh, forget that. I mean, like, you don't. If it had 16 gigabytes, do you think they could get away with charging like 500 dollars for 6900 XT 1080p performance? Or do you still think even with 16, it's like, nah, dude, make it 400 or less. Make it. Make, if make they it, could make it, if they could manage to get uh, 6900 XT performance and pair that with 16 gigabytes of RAM, then yeah, I think they could sell it for 500. Mm-hmm. easily yeah that's what i wonder because with what's going on with the used market there is this argument where you go oh you know maybe they just want to push this as hard as possible get it to three gigahertz give it 16 gigs of ram and just barely get to like you know 6800 or or a little better than that 4k performance and just call it a day there at mm-hmm. 500 dollars, so they can so they can sell a lot of the Navi 33 volume above the price of what the used market is. Because that's something you got to worry about. The second this dips into where the used market pricing is below $500 this fall, you're going to have to just make sure it's good price performance or no one's looking at that over a used card. Yeah. Um, what is going on? What else did I have here? I had a link here. Oh, uh, Samsung announces 24 gigabit per second GDR6 which a source of mine believes Navi 31 might use this. So I just thought I'd say it. You know, that's fun to mention. And then moving away from some of the more AMD news in the wrap-up. I don't know. What what color do I do? I'll do this. A couple of PlayStation announcements. I guess Sony completed the acquisition of Bungie. Oh, yeah. That's... It just came out, yeah. I And I know there was talk of that maybe being blocked by the FTC. Guess not. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it came out real, no, it didn't come out like days after the Activision one. So I think people were expecting the same level of scrutiny, even though the Activision is a 10 times bigger purchase, if I'm remembering correctly, more than 10 times. (laughs) So do you think this means though, that the FTC is more likely than not to approve the Activision one, which, um, friend of the channel, Richard Hogue came on and he's. He says it's not a it's like, don't be sure it's going to happen. But he always thought it was at least about at least a 50 50 chance Activision goes through, if not more. I, I would never have bet money that they that the Activision deal wouldn't get approved. I was just, I, I think. I, we were just hoping <laughs> to uh, or not hoping because I, I think there's credence to the idea that Activision shouldn't be allowed to be purchased by uh, Microsoft. But, uh, you know, I, I think we were hoping that it would go wouldn't go through just because that's such a massive acquisition that i i don't know how it's much it's going to shake up the market yet it's hopefully not much but that's uh that's a big deal 
Yeah. It's just like if you look at data points, I think we all assumed everything was going to go through because we're just pessimistic at this point about, you know, corporate consolidation. But then you see the NVIDIA deal get blocked and we're like, okay. Ah, yeah, that's maybe true. The, maybe the uh, Activision one will get blocked. But then now the Bungie one goes through and you're like, yeah. But of course, the NVIDIA one, much more egregious. The Sony one, much smaller. So I don't know, though. I, this may, I, I guess it's impossible not make you feel a little bit like this makes you lean towards them approving the Activision one. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. A patent also for a peripheral, which, again, big disclaimer, Sony patents crap all the time. All too often we have these news stories where they're like, Sony patents something. So that means... You know, Vita is going to have a 3D display or something. I don't know. No, they, they patent stuff all the time. But it did. It's an interesting patent that shows PS5 getting the ability potentially to emulate PS3 peripherals, which there's a lot of. I mean, the PS3 just had like blanket Bluetooth support for everything, basically. I missed that they removed that. And being able to emulate that on the PS5. I This is an interesting thought because this is something I've talked about. Like, even if Sony gets a PS3 emulator working on PS5, which to my understanding, they have one working, it just doesn't work in enough games for them to feel comfortable releasing it, that the PS3 have pressure-sensitive buttons, half not half, but a lot of the games, there, there's no way around it. Did. Yeah, you're, you're going to have to go back if you're Sony and you have a PS3 emulator, and you're going to have to go game by game and make sure there's not some random thing that required that. Game by game, no, whether you like it or not, it wouldn't surprise me then, I didn't consider this, if they just add PS3 support to the PS5, they launch PS3 backwards compatibility, and they're like, here's the top 100 games, it upreses them, it works with the PS5 controller, these are the games that still require a PS3 controller, and then if you play a PS3 game not on the list, it's in like, you know, beta mode, and you have to mm-hmm. have a PS3 controller to play it. I hadn't considered that. That, that makes this much more optimistic about something coming sooner rather than later for me uh yeah it does i i, I mean I, there's uh, there's no other reason i could think of that they would want to have legacy uh support for the ps3 controller other than that because i don't think you're playing modern games with a uh, ps3 controller mm-hmm. all right and the last story of the wrap-up or rather long wrap-up this week is uh the apple m2 was reviewed by Hardware Unboxed. It was going to be a main story, but Intel had so much crap come out this week, we just bumped it down to the wrap-up. I don't know. Did you? Uh, how would I summarize this? It's about what you'd expect. The M2 is a lot be- decently better than the M1. It's incredibly efficient in the apps that it's meant to use. If properly utilized, it's incredibly impressive, but it's also a giant 5 nanometer die. So Yeah, and I, the big caveat I would say is the... GPU performance was about where I expected, and the CPU performance seemed to be a little bit less impressive than what uh, I think their slide suggested. You know, not that it's bad at all, but it's the CPU performance seems to be more or less in line with um, with uh, competitors uh, if you're comparing power usage, where at, if it's performing at 23 watts, it performs in between an uh intel or amd cpu at 15 to 25 watts you know Mm -hmm. yeah so gpu performance was as they showed though uh a really insane uh power performance yeah yeah performance per watt when properly optimized so i don't know my look at it is eh, it just keeps up with the status quo impressive Mm -hmm. when used properly and efficient 
but it didn't like you know it's this thing of oh they're gonna double performance every gen no yeah of course they're not okay now let us get to the final reader mails all right tech super nine writes in and he says hey tom and dan when talking about the idea of having a handheld ps5 on the last broken silicon which is what i have been hoping would happen eventually well i didn't say it would happen i just said (laughs) what i would have done he says i wondered about the possibility of three or four nanometer being used uh so before i continue as reader mail just to catch everyone up i was the last podcast which is one of the most successful ones of the year as it always seems to be when i have meyer from meyer tech rants on um i said and i think we agree the only way a handheld playstation makes sense is if it can run almost all the same games as their existing platform because it was just so dumb to pay for a dev to make an uncharted that you can't play on a ps3 or ps4 it's just leaving money on the table Mm -hmm. and the thing i proposed is well we know they need 18 compute units to have backwards compatibility with ps4 why don't they just make an 18 compute unit variant of the ps5 put it on five nanometer and it's you know less than half the performance of a ps5 and it's to the metal backwards compatible with base ps4 and then mm-hmm. they just don't bother with it having a de facto ps4 pro thing that it can recognize and then what can you do well almost every game still made for ps4 you buy the ps4 the the playstation handheld you now manage to fit the entire ps4 catalog on this handheld and what you could do is you could still have it have 16 gigs of ram you could still have it have eight cores of Zen 2, and you could just tell devs, hey, it uses literally the same SDK as a PS5. All you need to do is take the PS5 build, tweak the resolution and settings, and see if you can fit it. This is like a month of porting time instead of a year to port it. And if they did that, then there would just be like updates for PS5 games to be PS5 handheld compatible or not, but at least you could play all PS4 games. And he was like, oh man, that would work. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah the only thing i think is um getting it down to that power usage oh oh you pro- 15 watts still sounds pretty low for that they're at 200 watts now you cut the compute units in half and then you clock it significantly lower i you know and it's on five nanometer i think you could get to like 15 maybe but it, let's be very clear it would be half the compute units less than half the bandwidth of the ps5 and it would surely be clocked probably half as fast i mean (laughs) yeah you would have it only needs to run at 800 megahertz with 18 compute units to have ps4 backwards compatibility that's true well that would just be a ps4 basically right exactly but using Uh, rdna2 no that's true so uh, you know they could do it i i I don't think it's realistic that anything like that i don't think ever come out but yeah I, i i could see that being I could see that existing, I suppose, as a product. But but I, I would say that is a far better idea than some ARM-based Vita 2 that is going to have its own games. No way. You're not courting. To, I, I'm just going to say it. You're not going to get developers to develop for it easily. So it is a losing battle I, to do I mean, that. I, I think a, a thing to say is like, Imagine if instead of the Switch 2 coming out, I mean, not the Switch 2, imagine if instead of the Switch coming out, they announced the 3DS 2 and and the Wii U 2 like six months apart. And it would be like, oh, they, they would have had two failed products instead of one ultra successful one. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and this is going to be very bad napkin math. But I'm going to say, well, I'm going to take 200 watts, 
And I'm just going to like multiply it by like, you know, half, half the compute units. Let's multiply it by a third the clock. Well, not a third. Let's just say half again for the clock speed. Then let's say they're really optimizing for efficiency with this design. They're not going for the other stuff. And you can get significantly better efficiency on five nanometers. Let's just like seven. Um, oh, 0.7, not seven. Yeah, I got it down to like 35 watts. So it'd still be a pretty tall order. I think I agree. You'd want it on three nanometer. And mm -hmm. I don't know. So it still seems like something I still, I think it's possible, but I think that's what they would have to do. And it wouldn't be easy. And his question is, could they have it be an entire PS5, not half of one at a lower resolution, if it runs at lower consumption in handheld mode if it was on three nanometer? No. Now, these nodes aren't that much better where I think they can fit literal PS5 performance in 15 watts. No, yeah, no, I, we're I, way I, far away from that. I mean, I think like we were talking about it, it's, I feel like it's already a bit of a stretch to have, uh, <laughs> it's already a bit of a stretch to get a 18 compute units onto 15 watts, so. Right, and well, they've got, you know, Rembrandt, which has pretty close to PS4 performance, but it's like, you've got to remember, we want better than PS4. It has to have more compute units for backwards compatibility. So what you're basically saying is add 50% more compute units to a 15 watt APU, mm -hmm. but then go on a newer node. They can probably just barely squeeze it, <laughs> but there, there's no way they're doing the full one. Yeah. Uh, and it would be impressive if they did it. Let's be clear. TMC Payton writes in and he says, would you wager an LG C1 TV that DLSS adoption outpaces FSR going forward or vice versa? What, what do you think, Dan? Do you think DLSS is going to continue to outpace FSR? It's really hard for me to... I'll say right now, I think DLSS is going to continue outpacing for for right now. I, I don't know, though. I hope I'm You don't wrong. know long-term. Yeah. You just I, think because of momentum, it's still there? Is that your... Yeah, because it's so hard to say, like, because FSR 2.0 is just launched, basically, and... I think it's hard to really make a guess until we see if stuff starts implementing FSR 2.0 at a better rate than FSR 1.0. Yeah, and I actually have something to point out. I haven't done it yet, but I'm putting together information for the Switch 2, what I can confirm. And from what I'm hearing, DLSS is a core thing of it. Mm. Well... So what the Nintendo, the next Nintendo handheld, that's probably going to sell at least 40 million. And I, I say at least just remember the 3DS sold like half as many as the DS. Let's not double down. It's going to sell 100 million again, but it could sell 100 million. It's a lot of consoles, whatever it sells. It's going to be tens of millions. So that's going to make devs just support DLSS in a lot more games if it's yeah. in a Nintendo handheld. And that's pretty important. In fact, because of that, if I was AMD... I would be talking to Microsoft and Sony be like, Hey, could you force devs to use FSR 2.0 or something? <laughs> because something, if this is, this is where AMD can't let NVIDIA sneak in this win where it's like actually more console games use DLSS than FSR. Yeah. Cause it's going to happen. AMD, it's going to happen if you let them. NVIDIA isn't stupid. So, but the fact that I know it's in the switch for me, is where I go. I think for the time being, in addition to momentum, like you said, I, I think. I think for now, long term though, ah, it could be a free sync situation. I still kind of think it will be, but it might be like five years from now. It took a while for free sync. Yeah, that's traction. true. Like a, like a long time. 
the Forbidden Juice writes him, and he says, Hello, Tom and Dan. I've been thinking about CPU computer performance per watt recently. I like to run volunteer computer projects on spare computers I have as a sort of hobby, charitable thing. However, my question is, at what point would you say the processing benefits to a project are overshadowed by the harm done in wasting energy? Obviously, the most recent generation of CPUs will, for the most part, have the best efficiency, but feasibly, it makes sense to use a CPU until its power draw isn't worth the compute gained. Uh, I'd say an FX series or earlier, in my gut opinion, is a series that by now just should be retired for how inefficient it is. But like, what about something from the Haswell era? Yeah, I mean, I I pretty much agree with that. I'll I'll say this. It depends on what you're doing. Uh, The anonymous server engineer who I talked to recently (laughs) just to get an update from his opinion on things. He runs a lot of personal servers, some that he makes money off of, some that he does for charities or for his family. And he said that, yeah, basically all of the Intel 14 nanometer CPUs suck at this point for his uses. It does make me wonder, though, like, it it, it makes me think if maybe the right answer is everything from the four core era might be on the chopping block at a certain point. Because, you know, when you have double the core count and it's using the same amount of energy, (laughs) I, I, I think there's something to be said about that, too. You know, and I think you also got to think about total system usage, like, and what is it used for? Are you gaming? If your i7-4770K, which for a lot of games still works perfectly fine, what you, would you turn off your PC at night? I mean, when you're gaming, what is it? It's using 95 watts, but the rest of your system's using another 400. Is that really a big deal if it's using 95 instead of a new CPU that uses 50? Eh, that's yeah. true. You and know, it's, and, it's not a huge difference. And if you're using it for like a server, it's like, well, a Minecraft server. A lot of people do that. They use old desktops to run Minecraft servers in the background. Um, I mean, what is it costing you in energy? How heavy is the load? Because actually at low at low usage, Haswell is uh, pretty dang efficient still. It had really low voltage. It ushered in a lot of very good power saving features. So, uh, I mean, what are you using an extra 50 cents if it's on an, an extra <laughs> dollar a month? So what, it takes a whole year to get to 12? I don't know. I I think if you're at Haswell, you're fine. I would say anything before 45 nanometers, certainly not sensible to use. We just replaced our grandpa's PC that had a Bobcat Bobcat CPU. And it's like, yeah, I gave him like, I forgot which which lake it was, but it's like a newer Atom that seems to be about the performance of like uh, underclock Sandy Bridge i5. And it uses 10 watts versus his old, like, 25-watt Bobcat that was, like, a fourth the performance, a tenth the performance. So it's like, yeah, at that point, just get a new PC, what I was would Bobcat, say. But... Was Bobcat 32 nanometer, or is that... What was Bobcat? I thought it was 45. I don't remember off the top of my head. It was 45 or 32 oh, nanometer. It's 40 It's 40. Four, I meant 40, yeah. Not 45. Yeah, so it was 40 nanometer, dual-core 1.6 gigahertz. It was to the point where this... Last gen uh, quad core yeah. atom <laughs> was like five, ten, ten times the performance or something crazy while using 10 watts instead of 25 watts. So, you know, that's where you go. Well, if it's on all day, I don't think it really matters what it's running, but it, there's a point where it becomes absurd. And I think that's before 32 nanometer. Yeah. Basically. And even then, it's like some of the phenoms I could see it for like a mining rig because the total power usage difference is not very much, but it's actually, it's honestly getting to a point where even for mining rigs, I think it's just like, why, 
why <laughs> I, I think 32 nanometer is the cutoff i think if it's using a decent amount of energy 14 nanometers still fine but that anonymous server engineer said by now he's already wanting to retire all 14 nanometer stuff as it is costing him more energy than it's worth to just buy a new cheap thing all right little germany writes in final reader mail everybody hi tom and dan and reese from your coverage of the developments in gaming hardware, it seems like there is a new paradigm shift on the horizon for the enthusiast. You talk a lot about increasing integration in silicon, which on the face of it seems to represent a threat to the traditional modularity of the PC platform. At the same time, recent episodes have drawn attention to more diverse form factors like handhelds, framework-style laptops, VR, even architectures, ARM, FPGA, accelerators on RISC-V. With Moore's Law being dead... I guess it's logical that a new mode of competition would emerge among producers, but how do these changes keep the enthusiasts, well, enthused? Do you think that a new kind of open system could emerge to serve a hands-on community? Are we condemned to be content consumers only, not tinkering anymore? Or do you see a hardware, a new hardware ecosystem evolving? I mean, I, I did a video a few years ago, I think, early 2019 or something, where I said I could see a future where... You buy a motherboard, you buy an APU, you buy RAM, and maybe even like the RAM works as storage and you're just done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if if uh, we move to SOCs instead of separate CPUs and APUs at a certain, I mean, GPUs, okay, that gets rid of some of it. And then what if they just soldered onto the motherboard? I, I, I could see that being a future. And hell, yeah, what maybe happens even a future. Latency reason. Go on. Yeah, or maybe in a future where they just sell packages or it's like, I don't, do you want 64 gigs of RAM or I guess whatever future, maybe it's 256 gigs of RAM or like you say, I don't know, they sell you four terabytes of RAM or something in that access storage and uh, RAM. And you uh, call memory. it a day. Yeah. Now, they'll still probably allow you to add SSDs if you're someone who needs the extra, the extra storage. But it, it's totally conceivable what happens is they just... Sell an APU with built-on cash that has so much cash that that's half of the RAM anyways. And then it's just like, are you a gamer? You need 64 gigabytes of DDR6 total. Just have that and upgrade APUs when you need to. You're not a gamer? Eh, 128. And then if you need the extra storage, you buy it. CXL will complicate it a little bit maybe, but I don't know. I, I There's still going to be this tinkering. There's still going to be this fun. And I don't actually see that APU feature happening, future happening for years. So I'm saying like a decade from now, maybe, but yeah, I, th that's, uh, it's something to think about. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think they're ever going to completely remove it, but I don't think we can underestimate how more can much more condensed it will be a part oh. of that video that I did a few years ago. I talked about how, I mean, you used to buy a network card, a sound card, a graphics card. There'd be another card. If you need to use USB, not USB, but like something like there were cards for, there was like, 10 components in a, in a gaming PC and now there's like five. Well, and I think the question is when would it become economic for economical for like AMD to instead release? What is it like? How many SKUs are there for the, like this seven or eight SKUs there is for a, a CPUs and like the, but like 10 or 12 uh, GPU SKUs, how, how long will it be until they're like, all right, we're just going to release 30, 35 or some dumb number of SKUs <laughs> onto the market 
That, because I don't think they would do every permutation of all of those, but they would be yeah, like. But with yields, you could see quite a lot. But yeah, you, you would want a permutation where it's like a high end CPU to mid range, high end CPU with mid range to enthusiast tier graphics and so on and so forth. Yeah. No, it, it, it depends on when does that become economical to have a hilarious number of different SKUs for people's different use cases as opposed to people just bot mixing and matching the parts they need. And conversely, uh, and here's the thing though, I think that happens when it has to. And I mean literally when it has to. When the performance gains when we're on like 1 nanometer are so great by lowering latency and integrating everything on one APU that it's like and I talk about this what is it what would Nvidia do if they can't compete in this level with Intel and AMD? Like what happens when the latency gains for efficiency and performance per water so great, which is why you see so many AMD APUs outperform their TDPs, that NVIDIA has to sell like a 600-watt GPU to be 20% better than the top AMD APU. And the reason AMD is only selling APUs at a certain point, or mostly only APUs, they probably still make some runs of like discrete stuff or old systems. But like the reason they're mostly only making discrete stuff is they're like, hey, literally, man, this is how we get to this performance. Like, uh, that's when it happens when it has to that's ha that has to i don't see happening for years years mm -hmm. especially with upping power consumption i i don't so that's what i would say is i don't think it's going to happen until it has to happen like until you start seeing this weird thing where they're like hey our apus gain so much performance with their integrated memory and cache and such that they're starting to outperform twice as expensive to make gpus but yeah, I, I don't I don't think that's going to happen for many years because right now we're still not seeing that as a major issue quite yet all the time. And power consumption is going up. So spreading out the heat is actually pretty important. And, you know, AMD right now is kind of going in the other direction, honestly, where they're only making APUs for certain things. And they're saying, hey, we didn't even put a media encoder on the GPU for the 6500 for the Navi 24 because we just assume this will be bundled with APUs. You can see already they're still like well we're not going to make apus bigger we're just going to make a 100 millimeter squared gpu that gets integrated with it to not <laughs> yeah. waste silicon you know so for now it, it's almost like we're not i don't see that happening anytime soon for now there's even some directions where it's actually going the other way so all right well dan that's all of the reader mails ending on that quite interesting closing discussion i think um anything else you want to talk about dan how are you doing how's life how are we feeling here I'm feeling pretty good. How are you doing? I'm very tired. I'm very okay. tired. It's been a weird weekend. It's been a stressful weekend. Um, it's been a fun weekend with our parents. My parents. Our well, our no, yeah, with our parents pointing at where I am here. Um, but uh, it's still just been a lot to deal with too. You know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um. So. Well, I guess let's wrap up the episode then. I mean, thanks to everybody who is listening. Remember to subscribe to the Moore's Law Said YouTube channel on YouTube. Ring the bell button. Do whatever new wizardry they've added that you have to do for our videos to pop up. Um, Ring the bell us. button. Pay the bell, bell troll that you need to pay There's on YouTube. There's a bell YouTube troll now. that pops up now. Make sure to use the integrated YouTube hammer that comes out of the keyboard and hit the bell troll. Yes. Uh, to pay the troll's toll. <laughs> almost, made a, almost went into a It's Always Sunny reference. Um, uh, tell your friends about us. Subscribe to Broken Silicon on your podcast app of choice. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us get noticed by people who don't watch YouTube a lot. And then, uh, of course, support us on Patreon. If you have 
$2 a month, $4 a month. You can submit reader mails for these. You get them early and ad free, the proper tier. You can talk about all these things after the content comes out with me and other uh, Patreon members. And of course, you get Die Shrink. We just had a whole one hour interview with a former Meta engineer about behind the scenes why Facebook is switching to the Metaverse. It's actually quite a lot I learned about the business model and what uh, now not Facebook, but Meta is doing. So that's really interesting, only for patrons. And um, I don't know. Be nice to each other. Yeah. Go outside if you need to. And uh, go, l- l- go not go outside if you need to. Uh, everyone needs to go outside. Just, just, just everyone needs go to go outside. outside. Or don't. We don't care. Just try not to be an asshole to everybody, people. All right. <laughs> we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, A.V., Anthony Greffa, Greg Pataki, Mohamed Al-Kawari, Brett Jones, Aaron Close, Little Germany, Jan Rauner, Daniel Hyde, Ivan K., Brian Riggleman, Dr. Foreman, Sam Miller, Deke, Thomas Rupp, The Mechanical Philosopher, Terrence Herod, SNES Calmers, Tom Bailey, D.H.E. Wantick, Andrew S., Frank Zielinski, Daniel D., MJB1, Eric Jackson, Justice Brennan, Sammy Good, Valka Malev, The Boss Haas, Nicholas Buckner, Spamptum G. Spamptum, Jonathan, Lord Starscream, General Drips, Blake, Franco Frederick, Matthew Lazier, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Azuris, 
Gregory S. Hacker, Dominique Cock, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, My Name Is Nobody, Caillou Markelli, HardForeRoom.com, Original Ross, Slicky, Stefan, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Christopher A. Butler, GZ Ziggy, Sarcastra, Stefan Hart, Jason B., Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Luis Correa, Ian Clifford, Jesse Jeskowiak, Travis Gooding, Holden Mobley, Nanian, Chris Rich, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stefan Coates, Michael McGee, Chuck Glidden, Sammy Malas, Greg, Atrani, Patrick Groh, Amable Chief, Brett Summers, Denny Nguyen, Stephen Dick, Tommy, Kunden, Brucha, Mark Mitchell, McDaffy, Dalmine Peterson, James Anderson, Y. Truey, Mark Raidmaker, Seth Thomas, 3DS Boy 08, Hal Buma, Norithio, Matthew Landavazo, Stefan, Koladic, Henry Zhang, Judson N., Brendan O'Connell, The Grid, Michelle Pell, D313C37 Antics, Jason Bowen, Noah Nicuela, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Jerem Ferriera, Zabito 3, D. Sis, Thomas A. Teef, Klein Britannian, DNA Tech, 50C Desert, Axel Cisneros, Royce Meyer, Charles Russell, Richard R.E., Morpheus, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, JSMMH, Sandy Grito Saunderson, David Eastland, Cameron, Andre Jacques, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Settler, Eric Osborne, Loophole 35, Winstar, Jokes, James I. Radner, Corey Leonard, Sammy Malas, John Shin, Justin Bussell, Kelfin, Austin Haggerty, Roger Davies, Nao Lima, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music.